0: And welcome to The Smorgasbord, the comic book podcast brought to you by the fine folks at SeaPort, The best online and on your shelf source for comic books news, reviews, previews, and discussion. Buy their books, uh, read their articles, you know, watch their movies. They make lots of excellent, excellent movies. And we've got a few tastes, if you're a Kickstarter, um, you know, supporter from their upcoming She Makes Comics, their documentary about women in comics, and I can't wait.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I am Tom Shapira, with me, as always...
1: Hello, like the spiny pear that is a symbol of the Israeli people. I am harsh to my enemies, yet sweet to my friends. I'm Sean Edry.
0: Are you quoting the Sabra introduction? That's
1: Sabra. Oh. Yeah, it was going to come up eventually. I figured we might as well just it, it, do it you now. You have to but yourself. <laughs> uh. It's been... uh Oh, it's, it's been a busy two weeks. Yeah,
0: with some not so happy news. Not which so I great. Think, I think we should start with these because yeah, well, let's, let's take
1: it from the top. Let's just dive right in. Okay. And I hate that we have to start with this as the lead story. But rock Upchurch, artist and co creator of Rat Queens was arrested for domestic violence. At the time, it didn't seem that the investigation was going any further than that, but he later posted online and he basically admitted to it. He lost his temper, got into a fight with his wife. Very ugly situation. As a result of this, he's been removed from the book. The immediate response was, is it ethical to continue supporting Rat Queens given this situation? Because with all of the nonsense that has been going around in the industry lately, concerning women, concerning representation of women, to have this sort of...
0: Cloud above your head.
1: Yeah. The fact that it's Rat Queens makes it worse. The fact that it's a book that purports to give women a voice in a genre where they don't typically have a lot of alternatives. I mean, who is the next prominent female character in the fantasy genres? Red Sonia? What? And now, Rat Queens has been tainted by association. My first instinct was, you know, because it's a collaborative effort, and Curtis Weeb hasn't done anything wrong. I feel okay with continuing to support the book. Rock Upchurch obviously will continue to profit from it as a co-creator.
0: Well, we don't know because
1: I assume Curtis that, J.
0: Webby? Webby, I think it's Weeb, said in a statement that Rock Upchurch has been removed from the book. Yes, and he's a co-creator. It's not just yes, the he's books credited to... as a co-creator. So, removed from the book, we don't know yet what it means. Is he just gonna sit on the side and not draw it? Is Curtis J gonna tell him, you gotta give me your half of the rights for some share of money because I can't do this book as long you're profiting from it?
1: I assume that if he made the statement that Upchurch was removed from the book. That there must have been some kind of official transfer at that point, otherwise, he wouldn't have said it. Well, anything. it was
0: so fast that it's like 24 okay. hours after the first news breaking, I think. That's
1: when he commented?
0: Yeah, I think. Like. Okay. So um, that's too fast to actually something officially to happen because Red Queens, you know, it's still an image title which is technically indie, but it's a big thing. Yes. And there was a talk already about an animated adaptation. With yes. Rights buying. So it's not like okay, yeah, I can drop this book. Apparently, it's worth a lot of money. And Rock Upchurch isn't going to just, I think, let it go. Like, yeah, okay.
1: It's such a complicated situation. I mean, the immediate solution that I could see, the optics would be very good here if Tess Fowler, the guest artist on issue 11, which was the last issue solicited before all of this started, if she stayed on as a regular artist. That would be a situation that would come off well in terms of PR for the book. Upchurch's status, domestic abuse is self-explanatory, yeah. right? Like, there's no gray area here. I, I hope the book survives because, aside from the fact that it's good, and I mean, I, I openly admit that I'm biased in the sense that... We love know, it. yeah. I love this book. It's one of my favorite image books. But it's also playing an important role. In this ongoing discourse about women in comics and everything that is attached to that, So I do hope that it survives this. I think Curtis Weeb can keep going. He has stated in that statement that discussed Upchurch's removal...
0: That the book will continue. The book
1: will continue. And I think that's all that needs to be said about it.
0: And the discussion, the general discussion about when is it right to stop buying a book because of the creator is long and ongoing. And...
1: It's always complicated when it's a collaborative work. For example, when Orson Scott Card was going to write Superman for DC. Yeah. And the backlash was immediate and justified because he's a disgusting individual regardless. But no one really talked about the fact that the artist he had been paired with was out of a job. And he hadn't done anything wrong. It's not like he approached Orson Scott Card for that The artist, role. the
0: letterer, yeah. whoever.
1: It- it's complicated when it's comics. But again, if Upchurch's removal allows the book to continue and still do what it has been doing... I feel like that's okay.
0: Yeah. And as a general thing, Upchurch, what he done was horrendous. You know, no yeah. need to further comment on that. But the difference between him and someone like Orson Scott Card is that Orson Scott Card has a vile opinion, which he works to promote. I think he, he admitted, I can't win this fight, I'm going to drop
1: it. I think his head would explode if he ever conceded defeats.
0: And, he, you know, when you give him money, you actually give money... To the targets he supports. Yes. Rock Upchurch isn't going to use your money to further his nefarious plots. Right. To. If you're the type of person who says, as long as Rock Upchurch makes money from that and he hasn't apologized, he hasn't repented, I can't in good consciousness continue providing him money. I understand. I, I understand I don't that agree point. I, I understand exactly. It. Like the yeah. words
1: right out of my mouth. I and I think that's the the yeah, end of it.
0: That is...
1: Slightly more optimistic news. Okay. Well. This depends, depends on how on you feel you. about it. Uh, Howard the Duck is coming back
0: by Chip Zdarsky, Chip Zdarsky
1: and, and Joe Quinnonis.
0: That's a good creative team, mm-hmm. but it's Howard the Duck.
1: Let's talk a little bit about Howard the Duck because we mentioned him briefly in relation to his cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy.
0: Spoiler! Oh, for please, a movie half a the movie's
1: road. out. On Blu-ray, I'm sure everyone has seen it by now. Yes, Howard the Duck turns up in the credits sequence. This is a character that has a very complicated background.
0: It's not very complicated because Steve Gerber, the creator, had an ongoing argument with Marvel pretty much as long as he was alive Mm. about who owns the right for Howard. And Marvel asserted that they own it, and he asserted that he owned it, and...
1: Yeah, it was another chapter in the ongoing discussion yeah, but, about creators' but rights. The thing and...
0: is that Marvel seemed to, without changing their opinion, almost respect him, because as long as he was alive, as far as I know, nobody else really wrote an Hour the Duck ongoing title. Maybe I'm wrong about it? I think... And not that
1: I can recall, but on the other hand, he's he not He wrote exactly... the original Volume
0: 1, and then he wrote the magazine, you know, Hour the Duck magazine, and it yeah. was the Max miniseries... series in the early 2000s. Was that him? Who yeah, did that was mix? him. That was him, okay. A year, I think, after he died, there was a miniseries by Ty Templeton. Yes, But that there was, was after he was dead. We can say now, you know, Howard isn't very popular, but at the time when he just came out, oh, he was huge. He
1: was. He was huge. It did have a lot to do with the fact that he was this animated duck that was projected into the Marvel Universe. And that
0: Gerber basically did an alternative comics within the Marvel Universe. Yeah, it was
1: like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Very similar lines. And
0: there were, have you read it, the original one?
1: I did read a few issues of it, and I mean, the humor doesn't translate very well Well, over 20 years. Yeah,
0: because it's a topical setter of the 70s, but a lot of stuff was just odd absurdism, and a lot of it was quite honest, I would say. There was issue 16, I think, in which there wasn't any comics, it was just uh, Steve Gerber writing Mm -hmm. a long prose piece about his failing to actually meet the deadline. With a string of absurdist <laughs> illustrations on the background and him going about, you know, oh, I can't do it. Well, that I have like to. sounds like And that's a thing that was published in a mainstream Marvel title in the 1970s. Yeah. I haven't read a lot of Marvel in the 70s, but looking at the catalog information... It was a lot more diverse than what we have now. It wasn't yeah. just superheroes, you know. Yeah, They had their... they were
1: able to laugh at themselves a little and, bit. You know, That's when they horror had, like, comics Not and Brand and horror... Yeah, horror and...
0: comics and Conan the Barbarian comics. Yeah. Today, the advanced and progressive 21st century, it's superheroes, superheroes, and...
1: I'm actually surprised that Disney is okay with Howard the Duck. Well, given they that own him it...
0: now. They don't care.
1: Yeah, but given that the tendency is sort of to look at Howard as a pointed parody of, of someone like Donald Duck, it does seem sort of strange. The direction that they've been talking about, Chip Zdarsky went on. Now, he is known for sex, sex criminals. criminals yeah. He's the artist, though, on sex criminals. Well, and here I, he's a writer. I think sex criminals is a I, funny book. Yeah, so I, get, I, I get the
0: sense from sex criminals, from, you know, the back matter and such, that throwing ideas around. Okay. And it's not just Matt Fraction doing it and okay. sending the scripts to Zdarsky. And Zdarsky is a funny guy, just yes. by following his Twitter account and stuff like that.
1: The high concept here was Howard as a private investigator in the Marvel Universe. The last time anyone tried that, we got Alias, which was really good. So, sure.
0: Why not? We had the miniseries. Which was also
1: fantastic. There does seem to be sort of a call for that kind of...
0: Yeah, but do we really need to do it with Howard the Duck? You know, Steve Gerber is dead, he's not going to complain, but...
1: If you're of the opinion that Marvel... It's
0: not a before Watchmen thing, but... It's almost a Before Watchmen thing because... No. I'm sorry. That's a Steve Gerber character. And DC owns Watchmen legally. There isn't any dispute. Their only dispute is morally. And morally, you know, would you touch Steve Gerber's creation? Which he asked repeatedly, please don't do it. He hardly allowed Jonathan Latham to do his Omega the Unknown remix. And that's after Jonathan Latham... Well, he conceded after Jonathan Latham already signed the contract and wrote the book. And Latham had to basically, I don't know, not beg him, but sending him a very polite letter of... Please allow me to do this. I have a very, you know, I think highly of you. I'm going to appreciate you. I'm not going to undo anything that you did or stuff like that. Right.
1: It, It becomes a question of what Starsky's intention is here. If it's just to turn Howard into another key character in Axis, then I think we can pass. Based on what he's been saying about the direction that he wants to take it, it doesn't seem like he wants to deliberately subvert Gerber's interpretation of the character or really, like, do something with it that would disrespect him. It's an interesting question. I'm, I don't think that I have an answer to that in terms
0: of, like, I'm what's curious. the right thing to do yeah, here. Yeah, but I'm curious, but I'm also worried. But then again, maybe... I we'll
1: mean, if it doesn't work, it flops and nobody reads it. It goes sits in the bin with Marvel. That's fine. If it flops, it flops. That's not a big deal. If it succeeds, my hope would be that they would not turn it into Spider-Ham. Where...
0: It's just a gag. Yeah. Because Howard the Duck wasn't just a gag. Yeah, there's something more to it. And
1: if this has a point too, then I'm okay with them continuing it in the spirit that Gerber set up. Okay, fine. (laughs) Speaking of ducks...
0: Okay, so a company called Joe's Books, which is apparently now reprinting Disney comic book characters... Mm Mm-hmm. Is doing a how uh, that, <laughs> that would be interesting. Darkwing Duck omnibus, Darkwing Duck. based on the 2010-2011 series that ran throughout Boom when Boom had the license yes. for Disney. Mm-hmm. And the original writer of that series is very, very angry because the editor of that series is rewriting dialogue and scripts, along with the original artists, for the omnibus republication.
1: And replacing the ending entirely. The storyline will will conclude with a different epilogue.
0: And further, the same editor claims that he actually did a lot of the heavy lifting on the original writing and that he wasn't properly credited for it. Mm -hmm. And that's... A, it's strange because it's dark duck and that kind of argument for me over a very minor disney character. Yeah. It's strange now, but I'm not from the US where right. it was a very the popular TV show. The difference between
1: us here is that you know him sort of as, as a, an as, abstract. A, as an abstract and I grew up with him because yeah. I was I was living in New York at the time that Darkwing Duck was a thing. He was never super popular like never at the top of Disney's tier of animated characters, but he was sort of a mainstay. You would have those afternoon cartoons. Yeah. So it was always like Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, and and all of that. It is weird that this issue is coming up in connection with Darkwing Duck specifically. I mean, you would think that if we were going to have the talk about author intention versus editor, it would be Watchmen or something like that. But...
0: Do you remember any time in the recent past where such a thing has happened? No. A finished book was rewritten... I think big, we all- Chunks of it w- were rewritten yeah. for uh, omnibus publication.
1: I think we all had that fear when Miracle Man was coming out through Marvel. Like, there was that moment right before it started that people were like, there's no way that Marvel would print Alan Moore's run as it actually came out, but they did. They did. So, I feel like this Scott is- Scott
0: Snyder, I think, said in an interview with iFanboy, I believe, that mm-hmm. he actually changes several lines in his Batman stories. Yes.
1: As readers we're getting screwed over here because if you are buying this book in singles or in trades, there's different content.
0: Well but Snyder got lambasted for that because A. It's the writer changing his own work. It's not So it's different because here there's also the added argument of who was the original intention. Snyder knows his own intention. And B as You're still screwing over the reader, though. Well and B, I understood it's not you changes, you know, it's a line here, a line there. It's not Okay, at the end of this story, the Joker wins and Batman dies.
1: Mm, it's about time they wrote that story, but...
0: They did. It's called, it was called Batman R.I.P. <laughs> and it, it was undone. How
1: long did it last? Yeah, two seconds. Six, six miniseries. Six miniseries. Okay.
0: And the other big thing is, of course, editor versus writer. Right. And that's another thing we haven't had in a long time. When DC just launched the New 52, there was this static series written by Fraser Irving. Yes. And Irving left after five issues. Mm-hmm. And he basically said, everything that I wrote was changed completely and mm-hmm. the editor did yeah. whatever he wanted with the book and he said that he had to say it. Usually it's the kind of thing that you don't talk about out loud. Although because he, the he book was the only so one at the time. Ba- yeah, but he was the first one out of the gate. Yes. He said it was so bad that it was ruining his reputation and he had to say, it's not me. I didn't wrote that static book. Don't hurt me.
1: I distinctly remember somebody having a huge blow up with editors about content specifically and that that was the reason they left DC and it was after Fraser Irving. Somebody Rob else. Liefeld? Oh God.
0: Rob Liefeld had a kerfuffle.
1: Oh God. Was it Rob Liefeld? A, a
0: lot of creators had arguments with DC over a lot of things, but
1: because I remember that after Static, there was this very, very big discussion Gail about. Simone? It might have been Gail Simone. No, that, Gail that Simone, the editors Gail
0: Simone was fired, and then no, that's something
1: else. I mean, this was a situation in which the editors were actively interfering with content and uh, changing the it. Woman.
0: The Batwoman title because the original creative team wanted her to get married. And not they, that one. People well, I mean, all of
1: these things happened in, DC, in close DC. proximity, so clearly DC it's, had a problem. It was the bad year for DC. Yeah, that was not the time for them to be uh, uh, looking for new writers. But who? Oh God, I think it might have actually been Rob Liefeld. Ugh, I feel dirty for having. Now I feel like, why did I bring that up? It, it's a strange.
0: It's a strange thing. Yeah. To, to Darkwing Duck of all things, getting Starboard. That's yeah, and if that's not an action, if that's not a verb, it is now Star Wars. Yeah, relatively, changing the pace. Yeah, <laughs> Ooh. wait, it was Stalin before it was Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> that's the more standard we're talking about, and
1: that's the connection but that uh, why
0: uh, it's so. I feel like weird. it's
1: a fringe issue because it's Darkwing Duck and because it's Boom, who are n- they put out good material, but they're not. At the forefront of the mainstream and discussion. the
0: Duck Books probably wasn't their high time. Nobody actually. Yeah. N- not nobody, but people didn't seem to really remember their Duck Books with fondness as opposed right. to their, you know, Muppet series with Roger Language. Yeah, Langridge. Roger Language, for example, people still talk about it today. Yeah, but nobody's out for reprints of their DuckTales uh, material. Yeah. So it's a strange issue.
1: I would just say this is sort of goes into the larger discussion of trades versus individual issues. And everything that goes along with that, right? Do you wait for the trade and accept whatever content is in the trade, even if material has been changed? It tends to happen on, on smaller and, scales all the time, where you in the collected editions, a line changes or a panel is taken yeah, out. And
0: I don't think you can make a sweeping generalization. I think it should be a case-by-case basis, because another famous example, the last issue of Invisibles the penultimate issue of Invisibles with the Brian Wood art. Yes.
1: Not Brian, <laughs> Brian No, Wood. well Brian Wood. Uh, uh Brian Hitch? No. no what no, am Wood. I saying? Brian Hitch. No. Um who The was guy it? can draw. Ashley Wood.
0: Ashley Wood. Sorry, oh god. Sorry.
1: Yeah that that not, not
0: the guy can't draw. <laughs> the guy can only draw sludge most of the yeah. time. And it was apparently so incomprehensible that in the trade it was completely redrawn three pages. And I've never read the original But... Everybody agrees it's an improvement because nobody could understand yeah. what would want it. So I mean, there are
1: cases in which I suppose it's justified. Here, there seems to be some sort of conflict that has nothing to do with the actual content, from what I understood. Because the editor is saying that these changes are related to his intention as as sort of the unofficial co writer. The author is saying something completely different. It's it's just a very weird. Nobody agrees.
0: Yeah, there isn't any there's no, no point of consensus. Contention.
1: I mean, I suppose the editor has the final say simply because he's in he's, charge He's of- the new
0: writer now. Yeah, well... So that means that if you actually bought those issues, keep them because they're going to be worth a lot of money soon.
1: And how often do you actually say that about comics? <laughs> <laughs> how often do you actually say wow. that about Darkwing Duck Comics? Yeah, I mean, that's not a sentence I would have ever expected to say. Darkwing Duck Comics Darkwing will someday Duck be worth a lot one. of money.
0: Now, $500,000 on wow. eBay? Not going to happen.
1: I don't know. I mean, are they still... The question is whether they're still selling the individual issues. Why? On comiXology or whatever. Because if they're still available... Oh. That's weird, right? Like, if it's still Somebody for sale... Somebody should do
0: a point-by-point point comparison. Not us because not me. we don't care.
1: Ain't nobody got time for that. No. No. Okay. So, let's move on to a little bit of TV news. Okay. Some interesting developments. Some face palm-worthy developments. From Hell is coming to TV. It can go right back to Hell afterwards because... I always say that, you know, if you're going to adapt Alan Moore projects to television, it has to be HBO, it has to be limited run series. Who's doing the From Hell
0: adaptation, apparently?
1: Damned if I know, but... Maybe it is. That was not the example I was thinking of when I said Alan Moore needs to go to HBO. Because From Hell, really?
0: I love From Hell. I think it's one of his top five works.
1: Sure, but why would you adapt it to TV? It doesn't make any... It's not? even.
0: It's a very long-form story, and it... If you're going to adapt it, it should be a miniseries. Yes. The problem is, isn't there an already an ongoing Jack the Ripper miniseries right now? Reaper Street or something like that?
1: Every couple of seasons, some new Jack the, the Ripper project the one comes TV up. there was a TV show
0: called Reaper Street. Yes. So I don't know if it's an ongoing thing. It was, you know, one season BBC thing. I have no idea. But it's recent enough for me to know about it. I, and I don't know TV for Jack. It really wasn't it's that long ago. Weird. and. The thing about From Hell that made it unique is that Ellen Moore did a Reaper story in which there wasn't any mystery. Yes. You knew from the first moment who was Jack the Reaper. The question wasn't who, it was why, and it was what are the effects socially. That was the one time that somebody told the Reaper story that actually cared about the prostitutes as more than just victims. Yes. They were people, they had personality, they had lives, they mattered. They weren't just glamorous girls who be protected by the valiant detective or whatever. They weren't just poor, wretched victims. They were right. people. And, and would you do it or would you, again, do the scene that the movie did, cast Johnny Depp as their no. detective?
1: Well, there are a few signs here that would I would be inclined to be more optimistic based on some of the details that have leaked. So, for example, the person who's been hired to write, write the show is David Arada from Children of Men. Which is a great film, and
0: it's a great film for directing. Um, I wouldn't say the writing is top. It was. Middle. It was pretty good. It was pretty. It's good.
1: on FX, which is all things considered one of the better cable networks. It's not CW. <laughs> oh, that that would be interesting, <laughs> wouldn't it? From CW's F- from hell. Tom Welling as <laughs> Jack the Ripper. <laughs> no. And then if you have, you find out, of course, that you know Jack the Ripper is deeply in love with these prostitutes, <laughs> they can never be together because his father disapproves. No, thank you. And apparently it is going to be a miniseries. So, from Hell, it is all of the things that you mentioned, but it's never been my favorite Moore project. And I feel like if you were going to do Alan Moore on FX, on HBO, on Showtime, damn it, why didn't you just do it with Watchmen first? No, wouldn't that no, have been we, so we, much better? No,
0: no, not again.
1: As <laughs> a
0: general rule, you don't need <laughs> not to not do again.
1: It. Instead of the film, we should have had a the HBO rule, film. You
0: don't need to do Alan Moore projects in any medium other than comics, because if there is a comic book writer who is all about, this is a comic book, let me see what I can do with the fact that it is in the comic book medium, it's Alan Moore. Just
1: don't do Neon Neonamicon on TV. Nobody needs to see that. Yeah.
0: And we shouldn't mention Eddie Campbell, because poor Eddie Campbell. Everybody's <laughs> oh, like, it's man. Alan Moore's From El... And I've recently read From El Companion that mm-hmm. you know, Eddie Campbell did. And a lot of it is just Ellen Moore's scripts. And then at the end of the script, Eddie Campbell is like, you know, Ellen Moore doing this huge, elaborate five-line descriptions for every panel. And then yeah. Eddie Campbell is like, and I've decided to change that because I thought it would work better. And Ellen, and Ellen is like, okay, you know, do what you like. Yeah. It's so different from the we, Ellen Moore in your imagination, which we would kill fun, the artist.
1: Yeah, like we poke fun at Alan Moore a lot. But credit where it's due, he actually does seem to get along well with his co-creators. With Eddie Brian Campbell. Balland, for example, never complained about working with Alan Moore. He never said like it was some kind of a horrible experience.
0: No. So... Well, it's also, it's Eddie Campbell and I think everybody loves Eddie Campbell. Yeah, you know. The second nicest man in comics after Kurt Busier. Yeah,
1: yeah. He, he's just a nice guy. <laughs> More TV news and... Okay, so I'm gonna confess to a little bit of schadenfreude here. Constantine is in trouble. It hasn't been cancelled. Alan let's, Moore
0: projects! <laughs> let's be
1: fair. Let's be fair here. So... Usually with network television, the first 13 episodes air, and then in the middle of the season, the network will order what's called the back nine. These are the nine additional episodes that end up rounding out the season into 22 episodes, which is the standard length. That did not happen here. Constantine's first season will only run 13 episodes, which for the CW is an anomaly. It's not an official announcement of cancellation, but let's just say the actor, Matt Ryan, is already... Tweeting, like, you know, save Constantine. And I just like to imagine that somewhere Karen Berger's sitting on, like, this really comfortable sofa with a nice glass of brandy. And she's smiling. And Alan Moore is at a karaoke bar dressed up like one of the witches from Hocus Pocus. I put a spell on you. No, 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 no. What you
0: should have is Alan Moore standing in front of... A row of giant screens, with one of them shows Constantine, the other show Entertainment Weekly or something. like that <laughs> And then, as the news spreads out, he he gets up, puts his hands in here, and I did it. Yes, that's what you should do. I
1: wonder what Jamie Delano's reaction. Jamie Delano be. doesn't care. He, he probably doesn't care. Yeah. I mean, Constantine passed through so many writers after him. Yeah. He's like, well, whatever.
0: I survived the Bride Azarella run. You know, yeah. I didn't, wow. I, that. I was... didn't drop to drink after. And you, you there, know the odd thing. Alan Moore actually endorsed the Brian Azzarello run.
1: Because conceptually, it made sense. It was doing something that... When you look at Brian Azzarello's run, that whole BDSM Batman thing that was going on over there, when you think about it in terms of what he was intending to do, it works. It's only when you look at the execution, like, wow, not... Like, I I get what you were aiming for, but you missed... I could have
0: enjoyed the prison arc, but the art was just...
1: Yeah. Who was
0: the artist on that? He was a very
1: famous artist, I think. Oh, I... I never mind. Never mind. I, I didn't like it. Looking at the run of Hellblazer, so many people have gone through it that sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But I mean, Constantine yeah, but all was all of doomed.
0: them were British.
1: This show was doomed. And we talked about it last time and we yeah. said, you know, Constantine Light was never going to fly. A bad idea has been taken out back and shot and And let now it...
0: because you said it, it's going to resurrect. And no, no, gonna, no, 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 no. It's going to run for 10 seasons.
1: Well, if the network had that kind of faith in it they would have renewed it they would have added the nine episodes and they're not and you know i do not mourn it
0: okay movie news movie news yes the big one uh there's a director for wonder woman Apparently.
1: Mm hmm. Michelle McLaren has been hired to. She
0: did. She's a TV director, right? Yes. Oh. She
1: did Breaking Bad. She's done uh, Game of Thrones. Oh. So, uh, she. She has the credentials.
0: Well, you see, after the Russo Brothers success with, you know, <laughs> the, you know a couple of TV directors from, from Arrested Development doing Captain America, they're insane. And then you're yeah. watching the movie. They're geniuses. They.
1: And now they're talking about they might be the directors for.
0: The Avengers 3 and uh, in, 4. Avengers 3, Part A, Infinity War 3A, 3B, 3.5. We half. don't
1: care. Well, I do care, but well, I mean... I
0: don't care because it's four years from now and I'm going to forget all yeah, about
1: it. Marvel won't let you forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> the Russos now, based on their performance in The Winter Soldier, I could accept them replacing Joss Whedon. That would okay. be okay, okay with me. But anyway, so Michelle McLaren has been hired. Now, Warner Brothers made it known very early on that they did want a female director... For Wonder Woman.
0: Lexi Alexander. Director of Punisher Wars. Director of
1: Punisher Wars on which. I loved it.
0: I'm the only one. Okay. Unpopular the...
1: opinion time. I yeah. like the Thomas Jane version, but let's not, <laughs> let's not open that door. Cause if there was a third con- <laughs>
0: uh, participant. Would he
1: like the Woo! version? That would be one interesting panel to talk about, but okay. So Lexi Alexander. She expressed that she would not have been interested in this project even if she had been approached i want to quote her directly here because she made a very very good point she said young
0: viewers may wish to close their ears
1: oh there's one swear word if young viewers have a problem with that i mean come on so this is what she said word for word imagine the weight on my shoulders how many male superhero movies fail so now we finally get Wonder Woman with a female director. Imagine if it fails, and you have no control over marketing, over budget. So without any control, you carry the fucking weight of gender equality for both characters and women directors. No way. This was her justification for not going anywhere near the project, and I have to say, she has a point. She has a very good point because she
0: has a great. Point.
1: We are currently living in a point in time where representation of women in popular fiction, you know, it goes back to the whole thing with Rat Queens, right? It's a hot button topic rather than something we take for granted. And the most common argument for those misogynist bastards who are ruining it for the rest of us is, look at Catwoman, look at Elektra, ergo women can't do superhero films. And it's unfair not just because, like Alexander points out, you know, nobody assumed that male superheroes were done after Green Lantern. We might have all been better off, but nobody, you know, nobody made that argument, but there is something else that she said Forget that got nails. me thinking. Nobody
0: even assumed that Ryan Reynolds' career as a superhero actor was done after Green Lantern. People wow. still want him for Deadpool. After right. Blade Trinity, after X-Men Origins, Wolverine, I think because after Green Lantern, people still want yeah. Ryan Reynolds as well, a comic well, book we character. Well, we talked about this, yeah. Pro- okay. probably
1: because he wasn't the worst thing about any yeah, of those okay. films. But anyway, this comment did make me think about something else though, which was, one of the constant points of criticism for the Marvel Cinematic Universe in its early phases was precisely the fact that all of their films were being led by straight white male characters. That that was sort of the monotony they of, still of casting. Well, they still are, but now we know going in that Phase Three has yeah, uh, the for Black your Panther 18th and movie, Captain Marvel. You'll have
0: a women, and for your nineteenth movie, you'll have a black guy.
1: And I had always been critical of that, but now, following Alexander's comment, I'm thinking it might have actually worked out for the best this way. Because what happens now is, let's assume that for whatever reason, Captain Marvel flops. It could happen. Marvel have been riding a streak of successful films so far, but they have now reached a point where I feel like the Marvel Cinematic Universe is inoculated against the notion of one-shot failure. Captain Marvel could flop and no one would necessarily come to the conclusion that, you know, that's the end and it's terrible and whatever. Because you have this whole continuum to build up on. And I don't know if they planned it that way. that Like, you start with a basis that is so successful that they can endure... And again, like... I'm, the pixel point. Yeah, it's like the worst case scenario here. I'm not suggesting that Captain Marvel... Is destined to fail by any stretch of the imagination. So,
0: A, because we don't know anything about it beyond the fact that there will be a Captain Marvel movie. We don't know director, it's Carol Danvers. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know anything. If anything, I would say that the future flop could be Ant-Man. Because this one had a troubled, troubled production. Yes.
1: And it's and not only that, it's a troubled production that everybody knows about, which and, means that going and, into this film...
0: And, and it's the one thing that can fail that Marvel wouldn't care because it's the small fry. It's the intentional right. side story comedy version.
1: That depends on what their plans are. I could see them planning ahead to the extent that... One of the questions that keeps being raised is, why is Avengers Infinity War split into two? The argument has been made that maybe what they're doing is they're taking all of these new characters... Captain Marvel, Ant-Man, uh, the, the twins that are coming in Age of Ultron and have them be team A with Captain America and Thor and you know the established characters as team B. It could happen. We had West Coast Avengers for like a hundred issues. So we're going to have the West Coast Avengers movie <laughs> be-
0: before we have the Justice League movie.
1: To get back to the point. So I feel like maybe by waiting this long, Marvel have created sort of an environment where Carol Danvers going bust would not necessarily be the end of all things. However, DC doesn't have that buffer. If Gal Gadot turns out to be the worst thing in Batman v Superman, and then she gets a solo movie by a female director and it tanks, I don't credit studio executives having enough intelligence to figure out actual reasons as opposed to women. That's what you get. So, Behatzlacha Gal Gadot Good luck, Michelle McLaren. No pressure, but you're carrying the fate of the entirety of female representation and superheroes but on they, your shoulders. But they don't. They do, because that will be... They don't,
0: because if they fail, we have Captain Marvel.
1: After yes, that. but we will have to endure... The same talking point of, uh, women, da 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 if Wonder Woman fails. Especially because it's a female you gonna, director. You're
0: going to have to endure these anyhow. Because no. Because even if Wonder Woman succeeds...
1: If it succeeds, then the critics would not have that point of saying, if you want proof that female superheroes don't sell, look at Catwoman, look at Elektra, look at Wonder Woman. There you have, like, the continuity. Well, you know, the Lucy
0: movie. was a big success this year. Terrible movie, True. but a big success. And but no, Lucy's but, not really part that, of the argument. Well, it's... It's basically a superhero movie. But it's not. And nobody made, and nobody changed their minds about that notion. You know, none of the misogynistic people of, you know, we can't have super women in movies change their minds because of the success of movies. I I just
1: don't want it to be used as justification. Because. Nobody,
0: Nobody does, but you don't need to add extra weight for the director, for the actress, for the production company. First
1: female superhero with a female director. It's pretty big. And the fact that it's Wonder Woman. I wish them the best. I'm not going to go see it because Zack Snyder's... uh, How can I put this?
0: Poisoned the DC (laughs) universe? I
1: didn't want to be that dramatic. But really, like, if everything that is coming from DC at this point and into the future is informed by what Zack Snyder did in Man of Steel, and it certainly looks like Batman v Superman is influenced from that. I didn't necessarily have a problem with Henry Cavill as Superman, but... A lot of the decisions that were made in Man of Steel, if that's the standard, their no vi- thank Their
0: you. vision of fictional universe doesn't appeal doesn't to Doesn't appeal you. to me. No, so, even if Wonder Woman is successful, it's successful in that type of fictional universe, yeah. which you don't care about.
1: I'm trying to keep an open mind, and to be completely honest, if you had taken the Man of Steel script and given it to Wonder Woman, it might have worked. Because she can kill her enemies with impunity. She's a Greek warrior.
0: In some versions, that's the. Other, I don't think it would have been. That's the other big problem that people have with Wonder Woman as a character: that she doesn't have a unified concept, and it appears that every time there's a new writer, it's right. not it's not an evolution or a direction change; it's a completely new take. Because Greg Rocca Wonder Woman isn't the same as the Masters, and Wonder Woman isn't the same as Oh, Ryan I, as I remember. Wonder Woman isn't the same as uh, Gail Simone's Wonder Woman yeah. isn't the same as Who did it in the eighties? Perez, right? Yeah. And all of them has, you know, long, successful runs, you know, well-liked on Wonder Woman.
1: And they're completely different.
0: And they're completely different yeah. facts. And it happens with some characters, but usually, who, you know... Who
1: was writing her at the time when they made this big stink about the fact that she killed Max Lord? And it was this huge the, that, thing? Was that was Raka. That was Raka? That was Raka. Why is that?
0: Well, she killed a guy, an unarmed guy on live television.
1: Anyway, it's good different. luck, Michelle McLaren. Yeah. Good luck, Gal Gadot. Solicitations. Solicitations Our favorite time of the month.
0: Other than, you know, for our accountants. Our Whenever I get a new solicitation, a new previous copy, I get a call. Yourself. I get a call from my bank and like stop it, yeah. but I want M- to stop it. M- Mr. Shapiro, calm down.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's start with Marvel. Let's start with
0: Marvel yeah. and the big ones. Okay. Uh, Darth uh, Vader. Yeah. Number one and two, because Marvel hates us. Mm-hmm. Written by Kieran Gillen with art by Salvador LaRocca.
1: Now, that's an interesting combination.
0: Uh, first issue, $5, because, again, Marvel hates <laughs> us. Second, I'm
1: blaming Lucas for that one. No,
0: I, I don't. I blame Marvel. And second issue, $4. And I'm not going to buy it, even no. though I'm interested because I'm not going to pay $9 in advance for, yeah. you know, two issues that I haven't read.
1: There's a deeper issue here. Okay. Um, the price is a sticking point.
0: The price and the double shipping on the first month.
1: Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Darth Vader, as a villain in the Star Wars universe, is seriously, seriously overexposed. Oh, yes. The, the original trilogy is what now? 40 years old? Uh, Something movie, like that. 1977? Yeah. Uh, almost 40. Almost 40. Years. So we know that Vader dies, Right it's as pointless as any prequel in the sense that you know, but it's not even just that he dies, it's the fact that you know there has to be some spark of good in him left because he dies redeemed.
0: It all comes from the odd decision, I think, that Lucas had, that the Star Wars series Mm -hmm. is Vader's story of rise, uh, corruption, and redemption. Yeah. Because if you watch the original movies, He's not that big of a deal there. In the first movie... Not in the first one. In the, in first the second movie, one, he's the glorified Okay, in the first movie, he's a glorified henchman. You know yes. the, the general, the grand muff, whatever, yeah. is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. In the second movie, he's the bad guy, but we always get the sense that the Emperor is there above yeah. his shoulder. That's
1: why I always find the interesting. And in decision. the first movie,
0: you know, it's most of the movies are about Luke, they're about Leia, yeah. they're about Han Solo. Darth Vader isn't the main character. No. And then the prequels came, and somebody and someone decided, oh. Lucas, that Darth Vader is your main focus.
1: And having made that decision, they proceeded to screw it up in every conceivable oh, way. way. Yeah. Because I don't know if you saw the last part of the prequel trilogy.
0: I saw half of it before I got okay. bored.
1: So no, I'm that's a- what we remember. I'm, now.
0: A- I'm aware of yeah all the jokes, so all the if- memes.
1: So Vader. I don't necessarily think that Gillen is the right person to write Vader, regardless of, of that.
0: Well, if you, Why if, are you, we... if you don't like Hipster Gillen, maybe you like Cosmic Gillen, because he did the Vader 8 building series, uh, God Hunter, which is pretty good.
1: Star Wars, right? They are going towards a new trilogy that takes place after the death of Vader. Vader, as a villain, is supposed to be something that's in the past. Why are we now getting an ongoing that doesn't focus on any new villains, but Vader, again, like you said, there's a very clear shift from the first film to the second which is where all of these comics are being set right where in the first film he's really just sort of this assistant and in the second it's like he's the dark lord of the sith it is weird
0: i like gillen enough
1: and he's been dark horse did so much with vader even before the prequel sort of completely Ch- broke him changed down. everything they did yeah but i mean there was so much with vader I, I just don't feel the need for more. All of
0: them. Chances are, why do you need more? If you take, you know, the bar scene from the first movie and pause and look at every single character in the background, <laughs> chances are <laughs> every one of them has a miniseries, a prequel novel, yeah. and a TV short dedicated to him. Uh huh. Because it's an extremely it's the expanded mind- universe. Yes, sure, it's super expanded and super mind. Yeah. But uh I it's just first start.
1: I just think it's a miscalculation. If there's gonna
0: be good reviews, I'm gonna give it the chances to trade. I'm not gonna jump into the single issue.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm just not interested. Okay. What I am interested in is Spider Gwen number one. We mentioned it. We've talked about it at it's length. But called like Spider-Gwen? I said, Spider Gwen. Yeah, it's actually called Spider Gwen. That's not a. good Even name. though I get it because her name in the actual comic is Spider Woman. Yeah. We have a Spider Woman. Yeah,
0: but that's just a bad title. It's.
1: It is, but I don't care. I mean, Jason Latour, Robbie Rodriguez. I'm already sold on this. I read the Edge of Spider Verse. One prequel, shot, I guess. Yeah, the, the one shot. I like it. I'm isn't,
0: in. Isn't that a bit swift for you as an announcement? Because they announced it's going to be an ongoing like yeah. two weeks after it came out. And, and they and announced
1: it because of the popularity of the character.
0: I don't buy it. I think they already planned it. Maybe. Because it's way too swift to, well, we have these writer and artists and they're now on an ongoing, you know, we we announced it a month after the publication of the issue and because of you demanded it. No, they were going to do Spider-Gwen anyhow. I don't, which is so. fi- which is fine I don't think so. Which is fine by me, but...
1: I think they would have hedged their bets because I'm assuming that when Jason Latour... I mean, if you read the prequel issue, there's sort of a montage there of moments that led don't really bridge. go into... Not just it's led into her creation, but the things that she did. Yes. And it doesn't really go into any depth. So I think that Latour might have had these ideas, but didn't necessarily get the green, like I have no reason to disbelieve him when he says that Marvel greenlighted Spider-Gwen as an ongoing series based on the reception.
0: Because it could have flopped. Is it going to be in her own universe or is yes, it going to be? Yes, I think so. So we now have three alternative universe of Spider-Man. Because we what have are the other Spider-Man, ones? Ultimate Spider-Man, and this one.
1: Well, let's wait and see if Ultimate Spider-Man lasts a year <laughs> and then Spider- we'll talk Ultimate about Spider-Man it. Ultimate
0: Spider-Man will not die. No, they'll just move him somewhere else. It's a 14-year-old title. It's not going to die. No, I think
1: the the ultimate line might be coming down, though.
0: Even if the ultimate line dies, Mm -hmm. as it should have been...
1: Years ago. At least five years ago. You want to talk about The Walking Dead. There it is.
0: The ultimate Spider-Man title is going to continue. A, because Mm -hmm. it's Bendis, and B, because it sells well enough.
1: Let him have it. I mean, okay. okay.
0: Guardians of the Galaxy team-up, a.k.a. Guardians Uh. team-up, number one and two, Uh. price $4 per issue... Brian Bendis writes, because we haven't... we don't Oh, have Bendis kids. is... Nope. Wait, nope, wait. Nope, That's nope, the nope, best nope, thing. Nope. It's two issues at the same month. First issue by Art Adams. Uh-huh. Second issue by To Be Announced.
1: Oh, To Be Announced. I haven't and seen anything from him for a long time.
0: in the same month. Wow. And they're not finished. And they don't even know who the artist is going to be. Hmm. We already have a Guardians team-up book. It's exactly. Called, it's called Guardians of the Galaxy. Right,
1: like, were they not doing that?
0: They had a Venom. Captain, and Marvel, Captain Marvel. And Iron X-Men. Man, and the X-Men. It's already... And that's
1: Bendis too, isn't yes. it? Oh, God. So, it's... Are we going back to the time when Bendis was writing all the books? Because I don't have he, patience to go through that is. again. I can't go through that again.
0: Expanding the Guardians, you know. Fine. As, as a family of titles. Fine, you have Star-Lord, you have Rocket Raccoon. I'm
1: reading Rocket Raccoon, by the way, and it's really good. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. There's And
0: every one of them has a distinct voice. But now yeah. you have two Bandit titles, which are the same title. Do
1: you remember That's... when he was doing New Avengers and Regular Avengers? Yes, he's doing Did... two
0: X-Men titles right now, right? Oh. New X-Men and Uncanny X-Men.
1: They're really just the same title.
0: Yeah, and that's I don't care. squeezing. I don't care. That's I don't care. squeezing the brand.
1: I don't care. Art I'm...
0: Adams Art, and I don't care. And that's oh, please.
1: I... Art Adams Art. This is Bendis. It's going to be like six or 12 panels of the same face being copy-pasted everywhere. Give no, me a break. No, no. Give art. me a break. You're
0: going to let him, you know, draw somebody punching something?
1: No, he's not. And, and if he does, the fist that's making the punch will be covered in word balloons. No.
0: No, okay, no, your, no. no. Your shot.
1: Miracle Man number 15. Okay. The only reason I'm bringing this up is because, people, this is the issue in which Kid Miracle Man attacks London. If you want to know why Miracle Man is as revered as it is, this was one of the high points. All this of was, them are high points. They're all high points. I, I think that modern readers will probably look at it and be like, Yeah, I've seen this before. Uh Mark Wade's uh what was it called? Invincible not invincible, incorruptible. 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 No. Irredeemable. No, incorruptible yeah, irredeemable. irredeemable was the one that I yeah. meant. So like you've seen superheroes rampaging through cities already, but this was the original. So it's worth looking at.
0: Okay. That's a strange one. Core annual number one, oh, written yeah, okay. by Jason Aaron, mm-hmm. Noel Stevenson. She's the
1: author of Lumberjanes. Yes. Okay, good. And I like her. C. M. Punk. Who
0: is this person? A wrestler.
1: A wrestler. A
0: wrestler. Okay, he, give me a second a here. He's apparently a geek and a comic fan. Is that his
1: shtick that he's a geek? No, he's no, a geek no, wrestler. No. no,
0: his shtick that he's hardcore. How do you say it? Uh, the guys don't eat meat, don't drink uh, alcohol. Vegan? No, no. Before vegan. Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> Who? <laughs> <laughs> straight Edge. I think I straight- think his gimmick is a Straight Edge. Uh uh-huh.
1: whose name is CM Punk.
0: Yes. A wrestler, wait, Jason wait, Aaron. Wait, res- like you mean wrestler? Writer-
1: you mean wrestler wrestler, not MMA wrestler. Like no, wrestler. wrestler, wrestler. wrestler. Oh, okay, boy. So, okay.
0: So Jason Aaron, the writer of Lumberjings and a wrestler walking through the Marvel offices. That sounds That's like the a good start <laughs> of <the show>. But <laughs> that is a strange soup. The art, the artist. The yes. first one is Marguerite Savage. Nice. Okay, yeah. Rob Gilroy. Choose oh. Rob Gilroy is going to draw a story here. Hello? That's his first story outside of Choo, I think. Good for him. Well, anything's good for him because he's an amazing artist. Yeah. That's oh, okay. a like, serious baggage of talent right I, there.
1: I do, I mean, I read this, this description and, and there was something that bugged me, which was basically that this is an annual set in Jason Aaron's Thor. Okay. That is featuring original Thor.
0: Well, one of them. there's gonna be a few
1: stories. So. It's, every time they do something like this, it furthers the notion that she's just a gimmick, and that annoys yeah, me.
0: True. That,
1: but- I mean, she is, I wanted to believe that she's not a gimmick, because I respect what they're trying to do, and Thor itself is only on issue two so far, but so far so good. Aaron is not screwing up on that title, and I really want to believe that there's something of worth here, but if in an annual, we're still telling s- stories about Odin's son, as opposed to this new Thor, it's just undermining the whole point.
0: But on the other hand, it's Noel Stevenson, and she knows and cares about these Is issues. she
1: doing the female Thor? Uh,
0: who's doing... I, I don't know who's doing the right, story, but okay. I think that she, if they told her, you know, it's going to be about all male Odin, she would have said no. I think she's the kind of person who would say no. Yeah. Right. And it's Rob Gilroy, so it's going to look gorgeous.
1: Daredevil 13. I'm bringing it at Mark Wade and Chris Samney. Just as a point of interest, this is the beginning of the end of their run. Okay. It's been a successful run. I haven't... I'll admit that I haven't read it. I had my Bendis and Brubaker runs back-to-back, back, and then I sort of got the, out of was Daredevil. There the job...
0: Not, not job. Andy Diggle. Andy Diggle, right. And that sort of... A lot of people didn't really yeah. like the Andy Diggle run, which started promising no. and then went on a... No,
1: I mean, I remember the exact moment where I said, screw this, which was Bendis and Brubaker's runs back to back were so self-contained. And then I think the first issue with Andy Diggle had Norman Osborn turn up and I'm like, nope, time to go. This was during Siege where you couldn't get away from him. It's like, no, thank you. No, no, Norman Osborn. Oh, poor Andy me.
0: Diggle. He didn't have any choice. Yeah,
1: My guess is that they're going to relaunch the title so that it looks more like the Netflix series, which is going to be coming in. But uh, kudos to Mark Wade; he has been getting a lot of positive uh, reactions for this run, and I might even go back and read it in trades. I don't know; I'm, I'm on the fence about that. But
0: okay, a related story. Yes,
1: that I am relating through gritted teeth is that Electra is canceled. We can't have nice things, Tom. We just can't.
0: You we can't cannot have nice you things. You can't have all the things you like.
1: This is the second cancellation notice for a female-led book,
0: After but. She
1: also- after She-Hulk. But... Fair is fair. We're losing She-Hulk and Electra and we're gaining Spider-Gwen and Silk. I don't want to make it a numbers game. I don't know what the quality of Silk or spider Well, Spider-Gwen I have expectations because of the standalone. Silk I know nothing about, and to be honest, doesn't really interest me that much.
0: Who's doing the Silk?
1: Uh, Ooh, I have no idea. Robbie
0: Thompson and Stacey Lee. I, I don't know who these people are. Okay, but... You it know, could work, a fair shot. but...
1: Like on the one hand, I respect Marvel for at least trying they're to trying. keep the numbers they're, consistent. They're like, trying, yeah. We lose two books, we gain two books. Okay,
0: you can't say they didn't. You, they're not giving it a push. What's strange is that giving Captain what a push? Female titles. They're not. They're not doing what you said. You know, the commenters are doing, which is well. One of them failed. Obviously, we don't have to do it again because right. we just proved yes. They're the making odd, a the odd thing effort. is that Captain Marvel is still ongoing, even though it sells lower and lower. Is it selling is lower it? than Electra? I, it's on the 20,000 right now, I think.
1: Okay, I think the lecture is doing less, which is but wrong. It's, but, on it's, so but it's many going levels. down, yeah. or,
0: as most comic books do. Ms. Ms. Marvel, Marvel is more yeah. successful than Captain Marvel. Well, both Ms. Marvel dig- has both more. Both digitally, going for it. and both as an ongoing. And Marvel, I think, there was this discussion on the Wait What podcast, where mm-hmm. they basically said what I think is right. Marvel are now committed to Captain Marvel as a title because they have the movie, Mm
1: -hmm. so they
0: cannot cancel it. It's not just the
1: movie, it's the fact that if you're not a Marvel fan and you're listening to sort of what people say about Marvel in general, Carol Danvers is currently the highest-profile female superhero who, let's say, her rights are not scattered around with Fox or Sony (laughs) or whatever. Like There's none of that. She is the highest-profile superhero. I can understand their desire to keep her... Active and to keep her book running for as long as possible, even if the sales aren't great. And like I said, I'm not crazy about what Kelly Sue DeConnick is doing with that book. I personally find Ms. Marvel more appealing. But taking that in conjunction with Electra failing and in conjunction with She-Hulk failing, what I'm wondering, though, is whether these low sales are the result of the shadow of past failed runs. Because when you look at the history of Electra as an ongoing series... There was the Frank Miller Assassin miniseries, which yes. did okay, but then there was Rob Brody and I think...
0: Peter Milligan? It might have the, been Peter what? Milligan no, afterwards. Peter Milligan. Rob Brody started it and then Peter I Milligan came I think did a few things. Oh, maybe no, a miniseries. He, this was back when that was, was doing That was when people really with loved With the Greg Horn
1: covers and that flopped. Yeah. So maybe that's part of it. Well,
0: it's the same problem that Marvel had with let's keep relaunching failed properties again and again, you know, mm. Moon Knight. Right. We're on like, like the eighth Moon Knight series right now. And mm-hmm. the Warren Ellis run worked. But it worked because it was Warren Ellis, not because it was Moon Knight.
1: Yeah. And even then I don't think that it was a huge sales hit. It should have
0: been. It was great. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish it. my Marvel thing with something nice for you. Oh. I'm gonna urge you and all our listeners to search Secret Avengers thirteen by Alice Scott just for the cover. Which is uh, yes. the best cover of 2015. Yep. And I don't care, it's just the second month of 2015. It's the it best. It speaks for itself. And Secret Avengers is great. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best ongoing Marvel titles.
1: To be honest, the only reason I'm not reading it is because I have a sneaking suspicion that it's not self-contained. And that's where I'm at right uh, now.
0: I've read the first arc and it pretty much stood on its own.
1: No original sin, no access?
0: No, no, no. Mm-hmm.
1: I might give it a chance then. because he I mean, It's
0: zero. With superheroes.
1: We're going to talk about Alice Code again in, in, with in, in very shortly. Modok! Yay! <laughs> yeah. How can you go wrong
0: with Modok? You, you can't. You can't. You can't. Okay. So, that's Marvel that's for That's Marvel. Me. DC. The first one is a long-awaited launch from Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Suiciders number 1 by Libar Mecho. Okay. It's a basic post-apocalyptic blood sport type of plot. Yeah. With, but it's Libar Mecho writing and Andrine, so nobody actually is there for the plot. They're there to see... Lee Barmejo drawing Devastation. I'm not the biggest Barmejo fan, but I can definitely see the appeal of him.
1: What's the price for the first issue?
0: Four bucks. No, thank you. Is vertigo too steep for you?
1: No, not Vertigo. It's more that the solicitation text makes it seem generic. Lee Barmejo, he, he's good at what he does, but like you said, not the best writer in the universe. Well, for I haven't read anything an issue?
0: That, he wrote, that he wrote. He's only an artist as far as I know.
1: I know that he's written something. I, okay. I, uh, well, I, I don't have a great opinion of him. So for $4, no thank you. Okay. Anything uh, else from DC?
0: The Odd Duck. Mm-hmm. Batman War, The Dark Knight Returns, Deluxe Edition hardcover. Yeah. Okay, now we all know The Dark Knight Returns, one of the greatest Batman stories, one of the most important and well-regarded stories in the medium of comics in the last 40 years or mm-hmm. so. And they're reprinting it in the Deluxe, you know, large edition. Fine. So far, so good. In black and white. Why? 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 Why?
1: It's not Sin City, people. It may have been written by the same person, but it's not Sin City. And they
0: did it for the Long Halloween, which fits with the art of Long Halloween. Sure. And And the tone, And the noir tone of Long Halloween. Batman The Dark Knight Returns. Is it noir?
1: It's not noir.
0: It's It's not noir. It's not
1: noir at all.
0: And how would it look without the coloring because a lot of scenes there are all shadow and outline yeah the famous Superman scene where you just see him as a shadow mm-hmm. and you have the yellow symbol on his belt Yeah, that's Superman how's it gonna look in black and white I don't even know preposterous
1: I mean is it entirely black and white or can they put in you, like Maybe the I, color for the specific just the idea seems it's very weird
0: super I just
1: reprint the Dark Knight Returns like guess, why guess, make a big deal out of it this is one of those books that DC's gonna be an printing. In, movie. Yeah, exactly. They're gonna be printing it in perpetuity, and they should, because that and year one yeah. are the definitive Batman stories, whether you like it or not. That's just how it is. And that is all I've got for DC.
0: Okay, wait, one more thing, just oh. a short announcement. Mm-hmm. They're gonna do The Absolute Why the Last Man. Oh! Okay. Yeah. Speaking of Evergreen. First volume just coming up. And sure. DC is continually expanding their Absolute line, and I don't see the appeal of Why the Last Man as an absolute because Pia Guerrera, fine artist, Mm -hmm. but it's not like somebody you need to see all the small details. It's not a Frank Whiteley, Jeff Darrow, super. I think they just want,
1: I think they just want to have a library of absolute vertigo books, which is sort of the encapsulation of their best works. Yeah, but
0: absolute isn't buy off the shelf product. It's for fans. You know, it's $125. Per volume, and there's going to be at least three of them. Yeah. Right, because it's like 20 issues of volume, and why the last 60 fan? issues. Yeah, so it's that sounds repeat. right. So that's a huge investment. That's not for a small-time fan. That's for the addicts. Right. For us.
1: Either the addicts, or for people who can't get their hands on all 10 volumes of the trade paperbacks, which these days is... No, you but know.
0: they're reprinting the volumes now in a large collection, like, and you can have the whole series now for like $60.
1: It's for people who are absolute fanboys yeah, okay. they have absolute yeah books. absolute
0: fanboys have absolutes. yeah, yeah. sure mm-hmm. whatever image, image. okay uh, you start because i am a run of dc
1: tom this must have been a happy uh, announcement for you grant morrison's coming to image Yay! uh nameless number 1 art by chris burnham and nathan fairburn
0: oh the great great chris burnham art of officer down uh-huh. batman, uh batman incorporated stories delight sure. it's a whole I...
1: series right <laughs> Damned if I know. <laughs> the text did not make it clear in any way. I keep trying every new Morrison project, hoping for an entry points. Multiversity did not give it to me, but I'll try Nameless. I'll try. I, I,
0: I enjoy Morrison, you know, his phase. I still enjoy Multiversity. I really like his series for Legendary Annihilator. I haven't read that. That's interesting. It's about a writer whose creations come to haunt him again. Well, it's Morrison. Uh, it's is not a young writer. You know what you're going to get now. Postal. Postal. Yeah. Postal um, number
1: one. Brian Hill and Matt Hawkins. I have no idea who these people are, but I love the high concept.
0: I love the artist's name, Isaac Goodhart.
1: Isaac Goodhart.
0: Yeah. All right. That's a great. <laughs> na- that's like a Warren Ellis character name. Yeah. Isaac Goodhart, assassin.
1: So this is a book about a murder that's been committed in a town populated entirely by fugitive criminals who have new identities. That's well, a nice high concept. As high concepts go, sure, well, I'll try the first issue, why not?
0: Okay, and in the not interested department, Spawn Resurrection mm-hmm. number one.
1: Ooh.
0: Uh, that's a free dollar book. <laughs> this See, is after
1: issue 250, okay. It's the uh-huh. Spawn, you know? Al Simmons is back, not a uh, workout guy.
0: <laughs> Maybe it's him. I don't, oh, Brian, wow! Brian Wood is writing, and Brian Wood is having is in a free fall over mm-hmm. the last few years.
1: He had it coming. He had it coming. The
0: odd thing is the art by somebody called John Boy, whose only credit I could find was the artist on Marvel Adventures, and that's a style clash if I ever Oof. heard what Marvel Adventures, you know, Marvel kids line
1: <laughs> to spawn. To, to spawn. Uh, is Spawn still...
0: A thing? We talked about the when they announced Spawn yeah. 250. I
1: thought that would be the last issue. That would be like, you know, thank you for 250 issues, we're done.
0: Again, it's not going to die because yeah. somebody's got to eat. Somebody's
1: got to eat. Yeah. Secret identities number one.
0: Yes. Brian
1: joins and Jay Ferber. The solicitation text made this sound very vague and poorly defined, so I can't say for sure if it is. Image is to doing me. that
0: way too much recently. Did Stop image, you know.
1: Did you see the solicitation text for They're Not Like Us? Yes, we Don't talked about Don't look back. No, but I mean th- this one for oh. February. Don't look back. Okay, oh. if you say so. <laughs> <I'm->
0: <laughs> see, and I could have cared, but I'm not going to order it because I have no idea what's it about. Exactly. So if there isn't a copy on the shelf, you've lost a reader because the reader didn't know what you are selling to him? Yeah,
1: this would be one of those comics where I would wait for reviews before I even yeah. bother and getting it.
0: Again, Grant Morrison can do it because he's a huge giant name sure. and he has enough of fans that you'll have fifteen thousand readers at minimum. Not Jay Ferber;
1: a, he's doing okay with Copperhead.
0: Not the guy with Noble, Noble Causes and Copperhead.
1: He's doing okay with Copperhead, but he's not a person who I see his name on the book. We said this about They're Not Like Us; it's the exact same scenario. This person does not have enough of a cash to go in sight unseen. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Who does, though, have that kind of cash? The Surface number one. Alice Cote And Langenfoss Foss. And Jordi Belair.
0: Yeah. What is it about? Good
1: for her. I don't know. Again.
0: Yeah. But I don't, but
1: here is like, here I don't care. Because Alice Cote is doing amazing work with Zero.
0: And Secret Avengers, which is good. And Secret and Avengers. And He's Winter clever. Winter is okay. The art, Bucky Barnes. Uh, yeah, Bucky episode. Barnes Winter the yeah. soldier. The arts is a major issue with that stuff. So
1: Cote experience. is a clever, complex writer i'm down for anything he's got it's when you look at them back to back neither solicitation really tells you a lot but the surface i'll buy sight unseen because code has proven himself one last point of interest i have for image and this is just sort of a follow-up to a review that we did egos number five stuart moore and gust storms it's about damn time where have you people been thank you for coming back we reviewed the first four issues. I love this book. And then it was like radio silence for six months. So I'm because glad that they're back. Five, yeah. I'm glad that they're back and I am here for it. So yes.
0: Good. That's the uh, previews. Nothing interesting from Dark Horse for me. Oh, there, really? were,
1: there were a few things. Okay, so go for Dark Horse. Oh, you surprised me here that you didn't find anything on Dark Horse because Bandette Volume 2 is coming out.
0: I don't think I should mention it. It's automatic now. I, it's volume two.
1: Well, we haven't talked about Bandette, but I do want to say. We, I, I think mean, you know
0: what. When volume two comes out, I think we'll talk. We'll about review it. it.
1: Okay. So just to say, Paul Tobin, Colleen Coover, Bandette, volume two, hardcover. There's that. Yeah,
0: Bandette is tie for me with Tommy Kerbo for funnest comic. Yep. On the shelf,
1: just pure
0: joy. Join.
1: What else have we got? Well, there are a few other things from Dark Horse that I want to draw attention to, okay, but sh- not anything that really gets me excited, but two miniseries, Rat God number one, Richard Corbin and Beth Corbin Reed.
0: See, I don't Richard Corbin, one of those huge, famous veteran names that mm-hmm. everybody appreciates, and I've read a few Richard Corbin stories and i don't like his style at all he's okay
1: the thing that got me interested about this specifically is that he's mixing lovecraft with native american legends which on a purely academic perspective is not a combination i think has been done before yeah
0: but do we really want another lovecraft um, thing because well i think about overexposed yeah. lovecraft lovecraftian horror is mm-hmm. well that's a, that it's that is exactly done to beyond the grave yes, into yes. the Plains of El Kabath.
1: It's been
0: done. <laughs> Stop it. I mean that is exactly the thing. Lovecraft in
1: <laughs> That's exactly the thing. I think we're at the point now where what is appealing about Lovecraftian horror is where it intersects with other things. So for example, like I'm not interested in seeing another version of Lovecraft, but another version of Lovecraft filtered through Native American mythology? Maybe. You know, I, I'm not committing to it. The other one was Eight, and I'm pronouncing oh, that weirdly right, right. because uh, there's an eight. It's E-I number eight H-T, which I thought at first it was a sequel to that film seven, <laughs> but it's, but it's not. Interesting high concept. No idea how it'll turn out, but
0: that's a great artist, Rafael Albuquerque. Yes. You know, right there, you know, okay, mm-hmm. that's right. I forgot about it. So I'm done with that.
1: And just two more points of interest. Uh, one from Boom, one from Valiant. Okay. Valiant is is having this sort of second wave of of renewed titles. Nothing, only really one title appealed to me, which is Imperium Number 1. This is Joshua Disart and Doug Braithwaite. It's effectively a sequel to Harbinger, told from the perspective of the antagonist. Harbinger was, in my opinion, the best of the resurrected line, so if Imperium maintains that standard, I'm there. And one interesting thing from Boom which I did not expect to see, is Gunner Craig Court, Volume 1. Right. Tom Sidel.
0: I knew somebody was printing it. I didn't know it was Boom.
1: It's Boom. It's so Which like, fits.
0: It's a very good webcomic.
1: Yes. I followed it for a few years and then sort of lost interest. But it recently passed 1,400 pages. So Jeez. if you're going to read... <laughs> it's all online. Pretty impressive. I think the reason I lost interest in it was precisely because it kept like going on and on and on and didn't seem to be... Going anywhere. But it's basically a female version of Harry Potter by way of Neil Gaiman.
0: Don't tell it to him. He's not gonna like it. Ooh. I don't think Tom Sider likes Harry Potter. There was this- He's doing
1: it so much better than J.K. Rowling, so yeah. he should take it as a yeah. compliment. And Timothy Carver is sent to this very storied and very weird boarding school. There are robots, yeah. ghosts, and shadows. You know why it's
0: not like Harry Potter? Because she's not a whiny, self-centered, yeah. uh, hear me whine. She's a great character because she takes it all in stride. Mm-hmm. And when she actually has an emotional response to something, it feels earned. Yes. Unlike Harry Potter, who was a guy who would cry at the drop of a hat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then end up winning the day in spite of having no qualifications for doing so.
0: Yeah. The- it's it's a Harry Potter if Armione got the Yeah, if she had been which the, is the, the title character.
1: Exactly. Exactly so. And I, robots. Like, on the one hand, I would recommend this because Gunnar Krigg Court is an interesting breed, up to a point. Buying it in trade paperback seems to me to be a problematic commitment only because, A, there's no end point in sight here. Like I said, this is already past 1,400 pages. So, Sidel just keeps going.
0: Well, so did Sandman, you know. Sandman, Sandman had, had
1: an ending point, though, at some point.
0: We had longer-running series in comics. More True, than but, pages. but
1: with webcomics, you never really know what you're getting into. Like, for example, Order of the Stick... I read religiously, but well, the updates easy, have slowed down. Yeah, it's easy
0: to read Order of the Stick because he publishes on every three weeks or so. Right. And well, don't it wasn't Paul always is, like that, though. Like, well, I
1: bought the first three trades when they were still coming out on a regular basis. And, I mean, okay, it's not the author's fault. He's having health issues. Fine. But with webcomics, because you don't have editors, because you don't have somebody pushing you to keep going... The pace can falter, things can spiral out of control. So when you commit to a book, it's usually better to be a completed webcomic. Something like Space Trawlers by Adam Baldwin, if you're familiar with it. Great space epic, but it's done.
0: Okay. So. Uh, And again, it's a worthwhile series anyway, and it's interesting to look at because it's one of those things where an artist starts pretty good and gets better and better. Yes. You can, you can see, you know, in the early strips, you know, he starts out a good webcomic artist, and Mm -hmm. by the middle of it, he's a good comics artist. Period.
1: Yes. And the story also improves over time, lack of direction aside.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Reviews! <laughs> <laughs> we had these, right? Um, uh,
1: We we do review things on you occasion. We
0: do review things. Uh, You lead, I think. I'll you choose, lead. Okay. You choose the number one. The number one, number one.
1: The number one, number one. Yeah, actually, we did get three number ones this week. Again, so congratulations. Let's start with Gotham by Midnight. Okay. So Gotham by Midnight number one, Ray Fox, and Ben Temple-Smith.
0: What's the plot?
1: What's the, the story? Ooh, okay, so... The plot is as follows. There is a squad of the Gotham City Police Department that deals with supernatural threats specifically. They are being... The Graveyard Shift. The, they're called... The, how dramatic, right? <laughs> the Graveyard Shift. They're visited by someone from Internal Affairs who is, of course, trying to poke holes in the quote-unquote supernatural activities. He's the Agent
0: Scully to their Mulder.
1: Exactly. Well, not even then. Agent Scully, she never worked against Mulder, right? She was skeptic, but she never set out to, like, undermine him. He's there to say, you're taking our budget and I'm shutting you down because he's more like Walter Peck from Ghostbusters he's like the guy who's like I'm shutting all this down
0: the is bunk yeah in the DC universe in the
1: DCU call up Dr. Fate and see what he says about that (laughs) right like you want to talk about supernatural come on Martians exist but not in Gotham City in Gotham City wasn't
0: Gotham City in this continuity invaded by the Riddler who turned the whole city into a huge death machine in year zero I like that
1: you're assuming I read year zero I like
0: year zero Uh, and
1: didn't Arkham Asylum explode because of some supernatural activity or something?
0: Yeah, it's... So, your starting point is ridiculous. It's like having somebody doubting aliens exist in this universe right. with Superman flying right there outside yeah. the window. Hi. And Martian Manhunter... Martian Manhunter exists right now? I... Who can keep track? He was in Stormwatch.
1: He Was he in Stormwatch? Yes. But is Stormwatch still in continuity? I have no idea. <laughs> anyway. But, okay. So, in principle, I understand what... Fox and Temple Smith are trying to do here. They're taking straight horror tropes and applying them to Gotham in exactly the same way that Gotham Academy took the boarding school tropes and applied it to Gotham. And they fail for the same reason. Because you look at this issue, and it could have been set in any city. I don't recognize this as Gotham. Jim Corrigan is there. Fine. Batman has a cameo, because of course he does. They
0: mention Slaughter Swamp.
1: Yeah, but... It could have been any swamp. It could gener- have been Louisiana. It could it's, have been.
0: It's a generic post supernatural horror action series.
1: And quite frankly, and the there's heroes... nothing to appeal here.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't really care about the characters. War the characters again. are flat. The tough action girl, the, mm-hmm. the nun,
1: the nun. Who's... There's the nun.
0: Of course, <laughs> Na- there's the a nun. A nun dressed like you know a classic nun. I don't think they actually dress like that outside of you know religious no. ceremonies. No.
1: And none of them have any particularly interesting qualities. In fact, the only thing that is sort of established as a character trope is the fact that Jim Corrigan is still the Spectre. Sort of. He gets psychic impressions, and so Batman basically gives him all these cases, and he goes through them looking for the ones with supernatural activity. Why Batman wouldn't handle this himself, I don't know. Well,
0: he's not the classic Spectre, because the classic Spectre was the ref of God and one of the most powerful beings in the universe. So that wouldn't be much of a book. It's like, well, there's a criminal. I'm going to see him with my omniscience, and then I'm going to kill him with my omnipotence. The end.
1: Ha- Does the new fifty-two have an official position on on like the specter and God they, and they all that Christian stuff? Well, the, hang on, hang these, on, hang on. These things
0: on. change by the writer?
1: The specter was always the right hand of God. Period. So if that's still the case, I don't know. It's so colored by numbers, yeah. And it ends at the point where. There really should have been more. The
0: first commercial... Again, it's the first commercial breakthrough, which is your issue doesn't end with the end of the first episode of the TV show that you're working towards. It Mm -hmm. ends with the first commercial break.
1: This is 22 issues, and I'm reading it, and it's like, I don't... 22 pages. (laughs) It won't make 22 issues. 22 pages. And going through it a second time, I don't feel any... What are you doing with all this space? You have 22 pages. Set up your characters. Set up an interesting well, plot point. A,
0: there is a setup of plot and uh, there's a missing characters. But again, it's generic. It's okay. You know, there's people turning into salt and missing children and some hellish house of something or other. But
1: this would be great as a vertical book you're trying to sell it as Gotham. No,
0: it's not... It wouldn't even be great as a Vertigo book because it would have been generic Vertigo book. Good things. Ben Temple Smith art. Yes. Very good. Ben Templesmith is the guy you want for something like that. You know? Right, he's
1: the right guy. It's just that the script is...
0: It doesn't give him anything interesting to work with. No. And, that last it's the page... kind of thing that makes me want to say, where is Fell? I want the 10th issue oh, of Fell. Oh, man, you're still waiting on Fell? Th- yeah, I know. it's not Still not waiting on Fell? But... We're gonna get the end to Miracle Man, you know. That's it. After, after, <laughs> like I said earlier, this is the year where we get Miracle Man and Zenith reprinted. Good mm. enough. Shaolin Cowboy reprinted. Yeah. So, anything can happen. <laughs> okay. I, I lose faith over nothing. Maybe by next year we'll see Big Numbers by Boris I, Inkevich.
1: I, I, wow. Yeah. There's a name I haven't heard in a while. El Columbia will come numbers. back.
0: from Numbers. El Colombia will come back from wherever he is. <laughs>
1: Okay. Hey. It company. could happen. You know, let's be optimistic. But, yeah,
0: it's, it's not interesting. Enough. No, I'm not
1: coming back for, for another no. issue.
0: <laughs> we promised for our listeners in okay. the very first episode that we'll yeah. do Angry Birds Transformers. Wow. Number one.
1: Let it never be said that we don't follow up on our promises.
0: <laughs> written by John Barber with art by uh, Livio Ramondelli and Marcelo Freyera.
1: And just to be absolutely clear, Ramondelli draws the first five pages. That's which transformer section, the Transformers section. Transformers section, and Ferreira does the Angry Birds section.
0: Okay, the plot is this. The it's, plot. It starts with a generic... You can't
1: see me right now, but I'm doing finger quotes around <laughs> plot. Yes. It
0: starts with a generic Transformers origin story plot, which is the heroic Autobots, which are, again, giant robots changing into cars. Mm-hmm. If you've never watched the cartoons or the movies or read any previous comics... Are on the run from their enemies, the evil Decepticon, yeah. which are giant robots transforming into weapons and planes. Mm-hmm. And they hold the MacGuffin which in this series is the AllSpark. Yeah. In previous series, it was the Matrix, and others, it was the Spingamabob.
1: Are they always the same thing? Uh, they just change the name,
0: their, uh, name and function. You know, it brings life, it creates new life, whatever, whatever. And they lose it during the struggle, and it falls on the home planet slash world slash country. <laughs> Of the Angry Birds, yeah. the, the iPhone game about throwing birds from slingshots yeah. into homes of pigs who are trying to steal their eggs
1: and killing all the pigs.
0: That's it's either silly or avant-garde. <laughs> well, we it's silly.
1: when we committed to reviewing this issue, we did say that it's it's, it's the a sort joke. of absurdity that you would only find at IDW. Only there would you see a crossover between Angry Birds and Transformers. In fact, they have an Angry Birds ongoing already, right? By Jeff Parker. By Jeff Parker,
0: uh, which is a fun short comic.
1: Angry Birds is a casual game. It's the thing that you do when you're bored and you want to kill time. So they're turning it into a comic book series, and the attempt at grafting a narrative onto this is just so completely ridiculous. Well, like, it's the
0: same, but it's the same thing with Transformers, which was basically grafting a narrative onto a set of dolls, of action figures that had, you know, Transformers wasn't created as a plot and then somebody made a toy right. It was somebody took some toys from Japan, recolored yeah. them, reworked them, and then they came to uh, Marvel Comics and said, well, draft us some sort of story so we can package these things right. with a narrative for the children. And it worked well for Transformers. It worked
1: fantastic. The fact that they are still around long after whoever put out those toys went under. I mean... No, 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 Mattel? no, 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 no,
0: They're, they're still... No, everyone's still alive. Bob Bidianski is still alive. Uh, but, I mean... Simon Furman, who did the It's UK. been 30 years.
1: Yes. So, congratulations for creating a lasting you may, franchise. Yeah, yeah, it's...
0: You know, you had a lot of those things in the 80s. Yeah. And most of them are forgotten. Well, G.I. Though. Joe was the same way. Yeah, but G.I. Mm-hmm. Joe is a lot of... is a lot smaller as a yes. franchise and it's basically on the same level as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as it's a thing that was meant as a throwaway but it didn't remain throwaway it became right. big
1: it became a lot larger you know, nob- than anyone nobody has a
0: Silverhawks comics online <laughs> or the Bionic 6 where did you get that one from <laughs> or the Bionic 6 movie franchise oh my god Bionic 6 that's the Six. stuff I grew
1: on wow no I remember that wow Bionic yeah. 6 with the family and yeah. the- oh my god Oh, this is turning into like the nostalgia episode. We're talking about Darkwing Duck, then we're going to G.I. Joe. But we're talking about everything except the issue because there really isn't... Okay. Well, there is... There's one point of interest. Yes. Do you want to say it?
0: Yeah. The problem that I had with it, and that's actually a comic I waited for as a good joke, (laughs) you know, as as an intentionally funny comic. It's not Angry Birds Transformers. The Angry Birds never actually meet the Transformers.
1: Right, it's not Angry Birds versus Transformers. It's Angry Birds become Transformers.
0: Yeah, they encounter the Thingamabob again, the Allspark, and they become transformed with kibbles and bits, and they get character transplants of yeah. the Transformers character. So and their have personalities one, too. Yeah, yeah. So you have one character who was meant as a soulful, serious bird. Mm-hmm. That's his plot. To the extent and that he birds becomes are... Grimlock. Yeah. So he's now angry and stupid. So that's the joke. And the question is, can this joke actually work if you don't care and don't know about the characteristics of the birds? Because they have no characteristics. They're cartoon birds being thrown at cartoon pigs. Well,
1: that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, if you want to do an Angry Bird series that crosses over with any other property, it didn't have to be Transformers, any other property... The first thing you have to do is give the birds some kind of distinguishing features and in this case it's just grafting transformers onto angry birds but they
0: already have distinguishing features. I would Do they? In that series. Like yeah. one's
1: fat, one is one what, yeah. drops eggs or something? No, 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 they have
0: plot points. They have character. What? The what? The blues are you know the young kids and there's the yellow guy who's always rushing and never stops to think about anything.
1: That's a gameplay feature. It's because his special ability is to go faster. So
0: that's how you give them, you know, uh, characters. You basically translate the mechanic into character. That's what you did with so- whatever you, you, you see Sonic in a comic book. He's fast. So he's always the rushing guy. Yeah. That's, I, it, that's fine. That's an A level writing, but that's fine. That's what you need. But okay, you give them these characteristics, but then you say, They don't matter, because they get new characteristics thanks to the all Right. So what's the point? So the whole first (laughs) half of the issue is rendered pointless, because the whole characters that you establish... Is well,
1: it, what they do is they end up turning the conflict between the Autobots and the Decepticons into the conflict between the birds but and the it's pigs. Fl- it's
0: always been a flat conflict. Good versus if, evil. If
1: you're looking for depth, you've come to the wrong place. But Unless
0: you're reading Transformers more than meets the eye. Which well, no, talk- no, no. I'm talking about this yeah, issue specifically.
1: Yeah. Like If you are here looking at Angry Birds Transformers for some kind of deep plot or characterization, you've taken the wrong turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> here, it's a bizarre creative choice to not actually have than me. Me. At least in this issue. I'm assuming... Well, that's the
0: first issue. If they're not going to be here, what? I actually was in-game for this as, Mm -hmm. you know, an ongoing investment and now I don't because it's just...
1: Okay, my guess, like I'm I'm making an educated guess here is that what'll happen is the Transformers having lost the Spark, will go to... This world and find that all the birds and pigs have already turned into Transformers. And then it's like Transformers versus Transformers versus Transformers. versus transformers. Okay, good. Not anything I want to read. Okay,
0: good things. Livio Ramondelli's art in the first part, in the first good. Part of the page, I would like to see him as a Transformer artist. Yeah. Proper heroic stuff. You know, everybody's looking it's detailed. good. Yeah, it's detailed enough. And good feeling to it. Good construction. Mm-hmm. I really like the scene, you know, the spread with the... Decepticons burging into the Autobots' uh, yeah. ship. Can know. we talk
1: about how weird it is that the Autobots, who are robots that can turn into vehicles, have a ship? No. Does the ship also turn into a person? No, you <laughs> can't talk
0: about how weird it is unless, okay. you want to talk about, <laughs> unless you want to make a joke about Superman putting his underwear outside his pants. Stop. The joke has been done.
1: Somebody once justified that, and I don't remember how they did it, but it was...
0: Well, you have legs. Wait. Why would you need a bicycle? You can move from place to place. Because bicycle is faster and it's more comfortable. Why? Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Pass. Pass. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, obviously I'm not coming back to issue two of this. But, no. I mean. No. Good effort. Well, good effort, I say.
0: Okay, effort. It's not bad. It's just. It,
1: I'm mildly interested in the fact that it doesn't do what we thought it would do. <laughs> but that's about as far as I'm willing to go in terms of there's anything here that's actually worth buying.
0: Okay, uh, left number one.
1: Odyssey number one, Matt that's Fraction.
0: dash O-D-Y-C.
1: I'm pronouncing it as Odyssey. Well, I don't I'm care ju- how just, Matt Fraction says it. just telling the readers
0: it. because I wonder if you're reading through comiXology. Yeah. How do you search for it in the search engine?
1: You O-D-Y-C. Okay. I'm pronouncing it Odyssey because... I,
0: That's the name. That's how you... Okay. That's what it is. I yeah. mean,
1: Matt Fraction openly admits it. That's what yeah. it is. Matt this, Fraction and Christian Ward. Matt Fraction, Warden. Christian Ward on art. So, this was announced at the Image Expo a while back. Yeah. It's one actually... Of the, one of
0: the Image Expos. It
1: actually turned out a lot later than they initially announced. So, we have this first issue. This is a retelling of the Odyssey, the Homerian classic, with two primary changes. Number one... It's gender swapped, by which I mean all of the primary characters in the Odyssey, which is Odysseus, Menelaus, Helen of Troy, presumably the characters that will follow afterwards, Calypso and and all of these characters. Cyclops. Probably. That'll be interesting to see. Female Cyclops. So it's all gender swapped, with one notable exception. Meanwhile. So far, Penelope, who is still a woman. Interesting change. I'm sort of academically interested in the notion of gender swapping in itself because it does tend to recontextualize stories regardless of the quality of the actual stories. Like there's something to the idea of taking these characters, changing their genders and then asking whether or not the story would unfold any differently.
0: And the other big change?
1: The other big change is it's in space. Yes. It's a science fiction retelling. The Odyssey is one of those narratives that is absolutely perfect for a science fiction retelling because it's the whole notion of, you know, you journey. are, it's a journey into this vast world that is unfamiliar, that all you really want to do is get home. But in order to do that, you have to go through this process of constantly encountering weird things.
0: And when we're saying space, I think it's important to mention it's not Star Wars space. And it's no. not alien space. It's... Heavy metal, as in the European comic magazine. Space. I don't know if I go that because far because he mentions Barbarella in the introduction. Yeah, and that's one of those famous strips, and it's almost a Jodorowsky idea. Almost. almost,
1: he does. Matt Fraction does. It's not try Jodorowsky to go... because
0: there aren't any bald women. Well, there aren't Yet. a lot of bald women.
1: Give it some time. So what we have here is Troy, or in this case, the Siege Planet Troya has fallen. So we're starting at the initial point of the Odyssey, Odyssea Ene, who is Menelaus, and Gamem, who is Agamemnon, have retaken Helen of Troy, or in this case, He of Troy. The renaming convention is a little problematic. Give them names <laughs> that'd be nice. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. And I mentioned this before we started recording, but really one of the things that I found most interesting in this particular issue, and I think I'll continue to find interesting as the series progresses, is not just the idea of how Fraction is mapping this story onto the narrative structure of the Odyssey, but specifically what he changes versus what he doesn't. So here, for example, we have the three war queens of the Achaeans, right? These women who have conquered Troy and retaken He of Troy. That's never going to get easy to say, but we never actually see his face. They even use the quote of
0: the you, face that a thousand, a thousand chip.
1: swift ships in this case. Shift ships, no? I think it's Swift Chips, okay, but uh, whatever. It, it, Matt Fraction is using Babble properly here because it never gets obfuscating. But anyway, you never actually see the male Helen's face. So why that decision? And then afterwards, like we said, most of the characters here have been gender swapped. The main character that has been mentioned so far who hasn't been is Penelope. So in other words, Odyssea is trying to get home to her wife. And the child that we see, Telem, who is Telemachus, gender isn't certain there. I'm no, not because sure. Is it still
0: a babe? At this is point. it a
1: son? Is it a daughter? It doesn't matter. Not clear. Well, it, it's sort of like- it Doesn't matter now. It's interesting to question whether or not that's the case. So there are sort of points where things are different, and I'm curious as to why. Why is Penelope still female?
0: I'm interested in the form of the thing, because if mm-hmm. you notice, uh, none of the main human characters talk in the classic speech balloon thing, they're mm-hmm. all captions. Yes. The only people who talk with speech balloons are the gods, which is... Wild. The gods of the space ways. Yeah, yeah. They're
1: Olympians, but even there, I think there's a little... And, there, there are gender and swaps. It's,
0: yeah, but I think they're all gender swaps. But it's a bit distancing to me because I didn't feel actually connected to any of the characters in the story. And seeing as the main character is supposed to be Odysseus and her crew... Outside of Odysseus, I couldn't actually tell you the name of any of them by the end of the issue. I couldn't remember, and even if I couldn't remember the names, I couldn't remember personality traits. And even an Odyssea is just, okay, it's mapped on Odysseus.
1: Well, I, I think that's actually a reason why, at this point in the story, like in the first issue, Odysseus' crew, much like Odysseus' crew, haven't really come into their own as characters. It's only, I think, after their first encounter with Circe. Uh, was the first one that they encountered chronologically. If I'm remembering correctly, it has been a while since I read the Odyssey. But I think that was the point where individual characters started becoming more pronounced. At this point, it's still very much right after Troy, so they are all interchangeable. Except for, of course, we immediately start seeing sort of the gods interference when one of the crew members backtrack a little bit one of the things that's different here is that the ship that Odyssea is using and in fact all of the, the ships of so the Achaeans are powered by thoughts
0: the harmony engine you are having these not just form- thought consensus they all yes. have to think the same thing and feel the same thing mm-hmm. in order for the ship to work that's a great concept I think it's stolen a bit from Morrison you remember in Marvel, Marvel Boy, Boy yeah, they had the belief, belief engine. that if, you, <laughs> if the pilot doesn't believe that he will land, yeah. he'll crash. And, and
1: in fact, Kieran Gillen used that in, in Young Avengers too. Like, you know, yeah. how do we get up this thing? It's just believe. So here we have sort of that instance where it's implied that the gods are interfering because one of the members of the Harmony Engine suddenly doubts, we shouldn't have sacked Troya. we shouldn't have that. And that's sort of the initial point where you start to see a little bit of characterization. I don't know if this sort of renegade engine worker is going to become a character, but again, if they're mapping it on the Odyssey, there's still time.
0: I have a question for you. Yeah. Seeing as you talked about the two major changes, you know, the gender Mm -hmm. swap and the space swap for Ocean, don't you think that one of them harms the purpose of the other? Because if you take the crew of the Odyssey from their... Context from the original civilization context, mm-hmm. and now they're all women. If there were women in Greek times, it would have been a huge change, but in the context of this series, it doesn't seem to be any difference because this space civilization, women rule, or... Right. We don't know if women rule or if they're equal, but it's not actually a difference. It doesn't affect the way people treat I them. I think that's the point. But if it's a point, doesn't that point contradicts the point that you're trying to make by doing it a gender swap? Because there was this very uh, famous book about what if Sherlock Holmes was female Mm. and the point was, what if Sherlock Holmes was female in the same time and place? Mm. Where he had to change, how he had to hide, the costumes were to hide the fact that he was a she. And if you're just saying, well, Sherlock Holmes is a she in the 21st century, what point does it make about Sherlock Holmes? So what's the point that this makes on the Odyssey, on the context of recasting the classic heroes as female? Because It's not the classic hero. It's a version of the classic hero. It's like you said, the same problem with it's female Thor, it's black Captain America. It's not not the Captain America. You know it's going to change.
1: There is a difference here. The problem that I have with Sam Wilson as Captain America and this new female Thor is that going into it, I know that because they are appropriating existing mantles there will be a reversion inevitably. It's a lot like the notion of the death of Wolverine. You can't really take the story seriously on its own merits because you know that Wolverine will be back. And for all that Charles Soleil tried to make you really think that it was the real thing, you know that it's not. Here, I don't believe that Odyssey is going to end up becoming a man. For all I know, that may be where Matt Fraction's going, but you never know. So I don't have that issue of knowing that it's a gimmick and expecting the inevitable reversion. Here, it's more, I think that the counterpoint to that question is, why do the gender swap in the first place? There are really two motivations for doing a gender swap. The first is that you deliberately want to subvert the original story by putting women in the place of the male characters and showing how much it changes. Like, imagine if Eric Schnauer was doing Age of Bronze with gender-swapped characters. The story would play out completely differently because of the idea of fidelity to the time, fidelity to the place. The other reason that you would have for gender swap would be to prove that it doesn't matter. That you can have the narrative structure of the Odyssey and tell this heroic epic, yeah, granted in outer space, like right in a different genre, but the fact that it's Odyssea and not Odysseus makes no difference at all. Because really, female characters can play out the same role as male characters in a heroic context and not have it be a different mutually exclusive motivations. Like okay. you can either do it for this reason or you can do it for this reason. Here I think Matt Fraction, the point that he's making is you cast all of the main characters of the Odyssey as women. It's gender swapping in one direction specifically. Because Penelope isn't gender swapped, and I am willing to bet that when they get to Circe, when they get to Calypso that they won't be gender swapped; that they will still be women.
0: It's nice that they're willing to play up the bastardly of uh, Odysseus; that sure. she's not a clean cut modern age. She's
1: the wo- they keep calling her like the witch, Jack, the wolf. You know, she is very much the same type of warrior character as Odysseus. And in fact, there's a scene towards the end of the issue where she is with her sort of cabin girl. Matt Fraction says that he'll talk about this later. Uh, the Sebex,
0: sex bots? Probably sex bots? Probably. Okay, whatever. He mentioned Barbarella, so Yeah, that, that was
1: coming event, but the sex bots are gendered female. Yeah. So there's and one of the things that comes up in that conversation is that Odyssea is, on the one hand, tired of war, she wants to go home. She wants to see her wife. She wants to see her child. But she also acknowledges that War is the only thing that gets her worked up. War is the only thing worth living for. and that is. She thinks that
0: she's the one maybe subverting her own return home, not the unfaithful crew member, that she's doing it on purpose so that she can continue on her glorious conquest. Which
1: really goes to the whole point of Homer's interpretation of Odysseus, right? It's the idea that for all that he wants to return home, he has no problem screwing every woman along the way. Which again goes to Greek conceptions of sex and and marital love and, and all of that. But also that he takes the long way home. And some modern interpretations of this character are like, well, maybe he just didn't really want to go home. And in fact, I don't know if this is in the original, but I do know that many later interpretations of Odysseus include a section where having returned home to Ithaca and finally settled in, he leaves immediately.
0: That sounds like the guy. Uh, let's talk about Christian Warby. The art is
1: gorgeous. <laughs> it's very lovely. Absolutely stunning.
0: Actually, the thing that I really didn't care for was the double-page thread, which is in print, like, four pages, I think, or something like that. I think so. That didn't appeal to me that much. The fight scene towards the end, when they board the alien vessel. That's how you do a fight scene in comic, people. Yeah. Do. Take notice. Take and notice. the
1: designs of the ship and the... It's different...
0: all, all new. It's not just retreading old things. And yep. I really like the, the color palette here. Who's doing the coloring?
1: There's almost like psychedelic aspects to yeah. it. it. It's just fantastic, fantastic artwork. Oh, Christian the, Ward
0: is also doing the coloring. Yeah, so. That's and great.
1: the designs. It looks great. The character designs are great. The designs of the ships themselves look sort of atypical. They're this C shape, yeah, which is.
0: Very with a big red dot. Um,
1: unusual. You know, it's, it's a very weird design. very simple,
0: but yet very The staged. looks of the
1: gods also. The first god that we meet is called Mother Father. Is that Zeus? Is that Hera?
0: It's both. It's it, both.
1: It's fantastic. You know, I, it's again, alien landscape that's really And again, detailed. that's
0: very Jodorowsky from the Incal, yes. you know, the Emperor It's a very Jodorowsky-influenced comics. And again, that's my problem with it, because I can appreciate Jodorowsky-slash-fraction here. In the sense of the artisticness of it all, but I could never actually connect with it at the narrative level, at the character level. Because I'm looking at it and I'm saying, yes, it's very well done, it's very interesting, it's very worthy to comment on. You know, writing an article about this, Mm -hmm. uh, appreciate the art, but I don't feel the thing that connects me to... I care right. about these characters I and think about their adventures.
1: I think that might be the downside of and basing was, it explicitly on the Odyssey because the Odyssey itself is not super concerned with deep characterization of the crew and I mean really can you name another character in the Odyssey no, besides Odysseus? No, but I haven't read
0: it like Years, you
1: know. Having not read it in years, you remember Odysseus. Yes.
0: So, well, it's yeah. named after him. Even if
1: it's named after him. I, mean, I
0: remember like, Don Quixote from Don Quixote because... It's yeah, but if I were
1: to ask you, like, who's a character that you remember from the Iliad? Uh,
0: yeah. Achilles. Yes, Achilles. Exactly. Like, you know, there are, certain,
1: there are certain characters that you cannot read it in 20, 30 years, but you still have some kind of awareness of it. Okay. So I think that... I mean, we should acknowledge that Matt Fraction, historically speaking, isn't always great with creating compelling characters. He does sometimes, sometimes he succeeds, sometimes not so much.
0: That's more on the Casanova scale than the Hawkeye scale, by the way. If you're looking for your Fraction comparison, that's more Casanova than Hawkeye. I would agree with that, at this point at least. And I thought you didn't like Casanova. I don't. And I liked Casanova, that's weird.
1: It is. I'm going to keep reading... Odyssey or Odyssey or whatever he wants to call it. I'm going to keep going. I can say that I enjoyed this issue as a reader. What I can't say with any certainty is whether or not I enjoyed it for the academic perspective. In other words, I'm interested in seeing how the gender swapping works or because as a narrative it compels me. Like it could be one or the other. I would need more issues to decide. I could end up dropping this if having seen the gender swap in action, having seen how it works out, if there's nothing beyond that in further issues, I could walk away.
0: Okay, so that's our number one. So we're going to do our trade Trade, review. Trade review. The Woods, volume one by James Tinian IV and Michael D'Alenis. That's the woods, dot, dot, the arrow. Mm -hmm. That's volume one. Okay, so the plot of it is there's this school, generic Hicktown school almost. And one day, without any rhyme or reason, the whole school, students, teachers, structures, is in another planet. Well, another planet, another dimension, another place. And they sort of have to survive, and very quickly there are factions, and there's some mystery regarding the place, and some student is maybe connected to why they're there, and some of the teachers are trying to form something, a new order, as it were, and some of the students are having their thing... You know, that's the general plot without any spoilers.
1: I want to this- say this. Your description of this premise is completely accurate, and to anyone listening would be like, this sounds like the most cliche setup ever.
0: It sounds like Lost.
1: But... It does sound like loss, or, m-
0: or even worse, or
1: anything really. It sounds like,
0: like morning glories. Any
1: dystopia that begins with isolation from society and this small group that needs to rebuild and hierarchies and power and that no, it's not dystopia
0: because the people aren't grown there; they're just transferred there.
1: Okay, so there are a lot of components here that, when you first start out reading, I think like in the first issue or two, you would be forgiven for thinking that it is completely colored by numbers. So we have. The gym coach, who is, of course, a traumatized war veteran, who, of course, immediately recruits all of the jocks to start this disciplinary committee that acts out in violence. And, of course, you have the class president, who is an activist, and she thinks the principal's an idiot. She's a revolutionary. The
0: make and easily bullied principal. Exactly. The weirdo student who...
1: You know, the intellectual who... The uh, guy who
0: reads too much Nietzsche in his teenage years. We know them. Exactly.
1: The awkward teenager... All of these things, right? That's a starting point. And it you have the cast of
0: Archie. Exactly.
1: So predictable. So rote. And then Tinian starts subverting it one component at a time. And this is the reason why I absolutely love this series. These four issues sold me. Because, like, let's look at what happens. The coach sets up this really authoritarian, dystopian. I mean, it is dystopian, right? Like, yeah. they're abusing students openly. And, of course, the jocks that are following him do so out of fear.
0: Because he's the coach And they team. He's the coach. And and he's like,
1: and he's telling them, you know, this game is going to have casualties and my boys are not going to end up on the dead list. And it's so predictable. And then he convinces them to sort of beat up this girl who tried to escape. And they throw her in. And then you find out that one of his enforcers is the tentative boyfriend. Like, they went out on one date with the revolutionary. And... It descends into violence because, of course, it does. And then the moment it does, the boys rebel. They say, we're not going to do this. They reject the authoritarian state that the coach wants to build. That's the first subversion. Because normally you expect that this is going to go very badly. That they are going to terrorize the school and and all of that. Because that's how the genre tends to unfold. It's the reverse of The Walking Dead. Because in The Walking Dead, you always have that assumption that the moment civilization is gone, everybody turns into monsters. And any attempt to rebuild society is either going to collapse because they're not prepared, or if they survive, they survive because they do monstrous things with it, like the governor and and all of that. And here, the coach is basically cast out his students that he was relying on to be like these unthinking soldiers.
0: By the end of the first raid, which is just four issues, by Mm -hmm. the way, there isn't any clear-cut, the right way to do things. You don't have the protagonist who chose the right way to deal with this. No. And everybody else who are stupid and wrong. No, you have... You have a rejection. You have various characters doing their various things, and any one of these groups, as far as we know by the end of this raid, can be right.
1: No. Yes. Aside from the coach, aside from the coach,
0: maybe the principal is right. Maybe the revolutionary student is right. Right. Maybe the kids who are out in the field are right. Maybe Sanami is right. Mm -hmm. We don't know. And that's interesting. And at this point, it doesn't matter. Not making a clear choice. Yes. You know, from the beginning is interesting. We don't have good or bad. We have people trying to survive.
1: Again, like it goes to that whole idea of the only group that does not work out that is summarily rejected is the one that you would assume would have taken over you would have thought that this disciplinary committee was going to end up terrorizing well, he's the he's probably going
0: to come back.
1: It doesn't matter. Like, the fact that the students refused to sink to his level was completely new And to you me. also
0: have another character, I'm not going to say, who, who goes through something, which is, you talked about The Walking Dead, who has this mini arc of almost a zombie infectee. Yeah. But then, again, it's not the it generic, doesn't... oh, we have to see you die, and then he dies, mm-hmm. and then everybody forgets about him. No. Not at all. So that's interesting.
1: In fact, you also have... We mentioned Adrian, right? He's the intellectual. He's the outcast. He seems to be the only one who has some idea as to what's going on. Yes. He's also very clearly a psychopath who abandons people left and right.
0: And and nobody treats him as... He's not the hero. Yeah, and nobody treats him as like this charismatic leader of men. He's a weirdo. Right and people treating him as one.
1: Well, the reason they treat him as one is because, and again, like I can't help comparing this to every other narrative that started along the same lines. You would expect that this would be the person who would turn out to be the chosen one, and he's not. Or he's the or really the, ar-
0: the arch villain. He could still be the arch villain. That, dis- that doesn't usually happen. For usually me it's disappointing it's... in the same way. If he's the, it doesn't matter to me if he's the devil or Christ because they're both boring. Yes. I want him to remain human.
1: His stated purpose. In doing what he does is that he wants to find out the truth, which on the surface of it does seem to suggest that, you know, he should be supported. But on the other hand, he is willing to abandon his friends to their death. He doesn't in order have to, any
0: friends. Friends
1: sort of by companions. companions. Yeah, right. That's a better, you know, his allies, so to speak. The people who are willing to defend him. He's willing to leave them to die in order to get to the next step. That's not a trait that would be attractive in a protagonist. And in any other story where you have like the intelligent outcast, he's usually the one who turns out to be, quote unquote, the chosen one. It's like Harry Potter, only not. The thing that I love so much about this is that at every opportunity, Tinian shapes your expectations to make you think it's going to be just another scenario. Like you mentioned the, the bite. There's a situation in which somebody seems to ha- go through that zombie infection. You're going to die. Da da da, 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 da And it doesn't happen. And the fact that it doesn't happen, in fact, leads to something even better. Because you still keep the character around, and they're still interesting, and it goes places where you don't expect. And at this point, we've been so inundated with sort of futuristic dystopias and similar scenarios that just the fact that it's refreshing, that it consciously... Rejects. Yeah, it goes right when you think it's going to go left... I'm sold.
0: Uh, I really like the environments, the alien environments of alien creatures. It's very influenced by profit. It is. The new brand That was the
1: first association I made with it. Like the different life forms.
0: Yes. The design itself. And you know, if you want to be influenced by something as far as creature design, (laughs) you can't go wrong with profit.
1: You cannot go wrong with profit.
0: But here's the big problem. And it's not the creative team fault. It's the... Environments, The world's fault. Mm-hmm. Because this comics comes after Lost, after yes. Battlestar Galactica, yes. after the X-Files, and in the comic world after Morning Glories. We have been
1: burned more than once.
0: Long-form mystery comics, mystery narratives in general, are an anathema to me at this point. Mm-hmm. I can't commit. I will not commit. Because okay. I've been burned too many times before. And by the end of this arc... What we have is still all the questions that we started with, Mm -hmm. plus more questions. Not an answer, not a single answer. And for me, that's a big, big warning sign. That's like the bell ringing, ding, 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 Mm ding. Don't commit. And I'm sorry. As nice as it is, these characters, as nice as the environment, as good as the art is, I don't care. Because I really like the first two volumes of Morning Glory for the exact same reasons that I like this thing. And
1: I understand that position. My... Maybe. My response to that would be... Okay. Okay. I would say... Because you mentioned, like, two of the Ur examples of getting burned by long-form mysteries. You said it. Lost and Battlestar Galactica. Right? These are two series that started out really well.
0: All of them. Can you actually name a long-form mystery series that ended with all the answers that you wanted to hear? Or or all the questions answered at all? Invisibles, maybe? No.
1: But I'll tell you why not. What do all of these things have in common, right? Lost, Battlestar Galactica, all of these long-form mysteries. They tend to start at a point where the creators, whether they're TV executives or or comic book writers, whatever, start out with vague ideas of what they want to do, but it's very rare for them, and in fact... Ronald Moore, the creator of, uh, of, of, Star Galact- of Battlestar Galactica Revision, you know, he has no problem admitting that when he started the series, he came up with that whole... Um, the have a plan. The, the secret Cylons and the human ones and Earth. and the, All of that religious nonsense that came in at the end, he made it up on the fly. He had no problem admitting it. The same with Lost. Damon Lindelof has repeatedly said when they started the series, they said, no, they're not in hell. They're not in purgatory, whatever. And of course, in the end, they're in hell, they're in purgatory, whatever you want to call it.
0: So... They meaning the
1: viewers. (laughs) We were there with them in the church. But... What that says to me is that these long-form mysteries will always fail if you don't know where you're going. And again, I can understand the claim that with long-form television, it's very hard to plan in advance because you don't know how many series, how many seasons you're going to get. You don't know how long the series is going to run. And you can't solve the mystery if you think, Oh wait, we're going to have another season afterwards. Was that not what happened with Babylon 5? Maybe. I never watched it, but I know that it had a four season arc. And then a fifth season which had nothing to do with anything.
0: But even in comics, you know, in comics you were a bit safer, but not always. You remember that Mike Carey Vertigo series? Which one? Not Lucifer. Uh the one about um, the kids uh, in Japan.
1: Uh oh, oh, oh. Not oh. unwritten. Uh, oh my god, why am I bl- I know this amid uh, Midnight Crossing Midnight. Crossing Midnight, which yeah. started so yes. good
0: yes. and yes. by the last arc you were like, oh my god, they forcing him to finish it. Premature cancellation. Uh, yeah, the art went to hell. Yeah. talking about going to hell storytelling in the last 5 issues of Crossing Midnight compressed
1: was, jumbled messy did not satisfy and
0: it. that's not my carry fault Absolutely. and that could happen here you know it's the, the it's thing, not an image series it's a boom series yes. if if this thing fails they will cut it up
1: boom i i don't know because James Sinian has gone on record as saying you know this series has 32 issues it's all planned in advance he knows where it's going he knows what's going to happen Will it reach 32 issues? I don't know. Like and It's a chance that I'm willing to take because this is not going to be another Battlestar Galactica because he has planned it all out.
0: But just because he said it doesn't mean it's right because at this well, point, if he's lying, then there's nothing you know. <laughs> well, what are you going to do about it? Because at this point in time, nobody could actually state what Ronald Moore said at the time. Nobody would say we start without knowing where we're going to finish because everybody will hear it and say, "Well, then we don't care." When Ron- what do you mean? What Ronald D. Moore said at the beginning of Battlestar Galactica, he Mm -hmm. wouldn't have said now, even if he wouldn't have had a plan, because by this point, everybody is aware of these things. So you'll never hear that again. And B, just because he has a plan, doesn't mean it's a good plan. And the fact that I finished the first arc without any answers, without any actual shift in the mystery, Mm -hmm. is a warning to me. And I'll give you my counter example to how to do these things right. Mm-hmm. Chu. Because Chu, whenever an arc finishes, you have an answer to something. You always have more mystery, but there is always an advancement. And the characters mm-hmm. learn things. We know, uh, the 30th, by the 30th issue, by the halfway point. Does Chu so-
1: have an overarching mystery though?
0: Yes. The thing about the chicken plague and the aliens. It's a very. <laughs> it's a very. Thing. When you say it like that, it just sounds funny. <laughs> the chicken plague and the aliens, and they're connected, uh, and, the, and the
1: evil chicken from outer space. <laughs> <laughs> that scares the cowardly dog. I get what you're saying. I do. I think on the strength of the first trade, the fact that he's so capable of working against expectations leads me to believe that if he does have a plan, it's probably a good plan because this is someone who. I mean, again, it would have been very, very easy for the woods to be cliche and generic, right? I mean, you don't have to work very hard. You can fall into patterns of repetition without even intending to and be cliche. Gotham by Midnight, that's probably exactly what happened, right? I doubt that Ray Fox is sitting somewhere going, you know... Congratulations, I've created the most generic comic ever written. But we,
0: We've also read and not reviewed this week's uh, other Red Cross
1: comics. Are we, we all, going to mention
0: that? We, we'll, we'll mention Intersect because yeah. we thought about talking about this and we finished it and we all... Wow. We, also, we can't talk about it because we have no idea what just happened.
1: No, that comic is review proof. I read it three times, cover <laughs> to cover, and I'm like, I don't know. Should I, should don't I don't know. Maybe I
0: should read it back to front. Or back. <laughs> maybe it's printed upside down, you should hold the screen, you know. Wow. First side. Yeah. So that's, we that's, ended up
1: reviewing Angry Bird Transformers instead of Intersects. That's, which... <laughs> that's
0: the un, you know, that's the ungeneric Ray Fox to you. No, thank you. you I'll know. pass.
1: So, the woods. I'm going to keep reading. Like, I, I understand what you're saying about the danger of committing to a long form mystery that might not satisfy you in the end. If he had said, for example, it's going to run 60 issues, I'm like, mmm. I'm having some... That would be problematic. 32 issues is is how long? That's three years, right? Assuming it comes out monthly. Yes. It's three years. Okay. Not so bad. Why The Last Man, for example, I remember that Brian K. Vaughn said very early on that he knew how it was going to end. He wasn't sure how it was going to get there. As it turned out, the thing that he was referring to specifically was the fact that, spoiler, Agent 355 was going to die. He knew that all along. And to be fair, like, that is one of the most powerful moments in the series. But, for example, the whole thing with the virus, he didn't necessarily know from the very beginning how that was going to shake out. It turned out okay. Probably could have turned out better. But, because Moore knew nothing. We go back to, like, Damon Lindelof and these people. They knew nothing. And they had no intention of planning ahead. They deliberately put in things there in the beginning of Lost that were... They never had any intention of following Damon
0: David was too busy writing Ultimate Wolverine versus Hulk to think mm. about long Another
1: pointless endeavor. It does enough right. Like, Tinian has enough going for him, and the art is good enough. There are enough positive qualities here that if it ends up going south, I'd be disappointed. It has enough redeeming value anyway. And even, like, to this day, I can still watch the first two seasons of Battlestar Galactica and get up to the point of when they leave New Caprica and stop there. And I can be like, this is the end of the story mm-hmm. for me. I don't need to know what happens next. It's as good a jumping point as you're gonna find. And because really I don't have any patience for all that God warrior talk. It just I, I sat through that last season. Like, Are you kidding me? I
0: survived to the end of season three before going,
1: Nope. You quit? Oh I man. Quit. I quit by the end of season three. I wish see, I wish I had that fortitude. It was the same with Buffy. I wrote it to the bitter, bitter, oh, bitter, yeah, bitter, this. bitter end. So uh,
0: Endpoint, Volume 1 at least, Yeah, good. It's Recommended. good. I'm going to wait for the series to end okay. and hear the reviews. Again,
1: if it's four issues, yeah, four issues per trade, so 32 issues is what, eight trades? Yeah. Give it two or three books. Yeah,
0: and maybe the next trade will be a bit longer. Yeah. Because the first trade is cheap. It's like, by the way, $10 trade. Yeah. The image method, which is very good, it's better than the usual boo method up. $20 trade! <laughs> Have fun with that. For three issues. Uh, no. No, no. that's Marvel. That's Marvel. <laughs> or Avatar, oh or Dynamite. Oh my god. Yeah. Dynamite, would you like to pay $25 hardcover for four issues and 27 alternative covers? No. No, Dynamite, I would- No,
1: I would not. Okay, so, that was uh, this week's reviews.
0: Some... average? Some average comics, yeah. some good comics, some promising
1: comics don't read intersect that's the best we can do have you
0: thought about an ending tune for us i'm still working on it
1: i still i keep going back to something with food because we are the smorgasbord and we're damn hungry by the way because (laughs) we we are recording this in the afternoon we're recording before lunch we are starving but we don't care because we are here for you for Sequart and for tom Shapira and for sean edry i wish you all bon appetit
0: see you in two weeks time see you
1: in two weeks time (laughs)